welcome to episode 3 of Mad Get Radio. I'm here as always with my very special guest. What's up guys, this is Paul. Hope you're all having a good time. So, it's the aftermath of the Siege of Striver. We are victorious or defeated, depending on which team you ended up on. Today's episode we're going to be looking back over the tournament and discussing some of the uh, more unusual events and some of the heroic victories and devastating defeats. Um, I will be talking about my games, which were neither glorious nor really that devastating. They were pretty average. Um, average results, anyway, not average games. Very enjoyable. Um, and Paul will be letting us know about overall results and things like that. Uh, so it's going to be a, a cool episode, I think. Yeah, it's going to be good. It was a really good tournament. Really happy with how everything went down. Everyone had a really good time. It was a really good atmosphere in the room. So, yeah, really good. So how did you feel, from an organiser point of view, everything went? Um, it went suspiciously smoothly. <laughs> there was very little issues on the day. Everyone was on time, pretty much, apart from Ed. Ed, Ruth, if you were listening. Ed's night executive board, shadow council member, was late to a tournament and almost caused those... Well, to be fair to Ed, he was... I think he did get there before it started, but... <laughs> He was cutting a bit fine, if you ask me. Yeah. It's not going to take me to Midlands now. He's going to drop me off the <laughs> He's already complained once that we're ripping him too much. So. Uh, well, I mean, he needs to come on. Exactly. Defend, yeah, yeah. And himself. No, I've said to him. Um, um, I just said to him today that we're going to we'll get him on the next week well and we'll talk about fluff and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, apart from that, like, um, no, I say apart from that, that wasn't really a big deal. Like, everything was fine. Like, we, we started on time. We finished on time. Uh, it was pretty relaxed atmosphere in the room. Everyone had a really good time. It was a really good bunch of guys. Everyone was getting on really well. Really happy at the end of the night. They were all sort of saying about they can't wait till next year. So, yeah. really good tournament. Really happy with how everything was received. So, yeah, really looking forward to next year now, I think. As am I. I think we've, we've already been talking about how we're going to do it next year. And uh, I was literally hours after we got home and everything. It was like 2 in the morning when I got home. And I was already thinking, oh, when's the next one going to be? And thinking ahead to Midlands, but also thinking about you know strife next year and siege, obviously. So I think that's the kind of the feeling you want after a tournament is that you want more. And I think everyone kind of left with that feeling. So job well done, I think. Yeah, and I think um, we'll get onto this later when we're actually talking about the results and things. But I think one of the other things that made it really exciting on the day was how close it was. Like. Painfully close, I mean, actually, actually. It was. Yeah, well, for some teams, it was painfully <laughs> close. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, when we get onto the scores, like, at no really any point in the day did one team really kind of run away with it. So that it was always on the table for multiple teams to win. So I think that was really good. And for someone that was kind of watching how the games were going down, that made it a lot uh, more exciting. So I think... Uh, team aspect worked really well. I think the balance within and in, uh, between the teams was very good. Yeah. So overall, yeah, it's really good. So I want to do two things before we go any further. First, on air, I want to say thank you to Paul um, for really being the brains of the operation on the day because, uh, as you know, like last episode, just before we actually recorded last episode, we rolled off, essentially, to decide who was going to play. Um, I, the gods chose me. Uh, so I played, and Paul organised everything on the day, and he did a, an amazing job. And 
I thoroughly enjoyed myself playing, and I was completely selfish on the day by uh, just playing because Paul <laughs> took over everything, and I ran about um, announcing, and that was really the most tasking thing I did all day. Uh, so thank you, Paul. No worries, man. And to be fair, we're a very good announcer. And thank you. Thank you. Uh, to be fair, you did, you did more than that on the day. Like you did a really good job, kind of welcoming everybody and going amongst teams and making sure everyone's having a good time. And that kind of left me to kind of sit and I was spying, get, Paul. I get the calculator nice. out and add up, adding up the points. <laughs> I was. No, it was a total like, a team effort. I don't know. I was I was abusing my position as organizer to gain intel on the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to suss out what the game plan was. Yeah. Um, Talking of game plans, I think we should have had an award to the uh, the guys from Arryn, the Warriors of Westeros, for having the most original uh, painting yep. I think, strategy yeah. of the day. Let's talk about the Arryn boys very quickly, right? Because if there was a, an award for my favourite team, they would have got it for two reasons. The first being that they are an absolute joy. <laughs> they are just the loveliest guys. They are absolutely great sports in the day. A really good laugh. Um, they were great afterwards. Like they let us basically gate crash their dinner reservation. Um, they did, and you know it was really really good. And the second is for exactly the reason you're about to tell us about their parents, <laughs> because this is genius and it scared the shit out of Ed. And <laughs> for that, I reason, didn't even know about this until yeah. you told me. I think because because I wasn't playing, I wasn't really paying attention to how teams were going about that. Because everyone seemed to kind of go off kind of talks amongst themselves and then the teams got together and then you had the pairing go down but yeah i didn't i didn't even realize that this was a thing until you i think you told me later at dinner that this is what they did i think you should tell it because you told me okay so the parents for the tournament operated like normal you know standard uh, team tournament slash etc kind of thing where uh you both both teams put down a card first and you know um you flip over the same time and then you pair off against that and then because it's a three-man tournament the card you had left in your hand was the third pair okay so pretty straightforward so normally most of the teams had discussed this before the tournament and kind of come up with a general idea about the way that they were going to do that they might have like a really defensive list that they were always going to drop first or they would wait and see what the team was and they had the strategy in place and like i um my team kind of came up with a, a general pairing matrix and we had the general idea about the matchups we wanted and things like that. But the Aaron boys revolutionized pairing. They did. Pairing. This is going to be the new default this system at ETCs of the future. Exactly. See like the Polish team, the one ETC, they're going to be doing it this year. And yeah. you can thank the, the Aaron guys for doing this. Because they didn't give a single shit about the pairings. They uh, rolled off. <laughs> to see. So they would be paired against the team, and the, t- the, the opposing team would put down their card face down, and the hand guys would roll a dice. I don't know, one, two, it would be one player, three, four, another, and then five, six, the third player. And that's how they did all their pairings, for good or bad. <laughs> and, uh, and bananas. When they played Ed's team, apparently Ed was terrified because he had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just loved it. I thought it was so funny. And oh, I'd be sure really to funny. let everyone know when we were going through the lists. Uh, when we went through Joe's list, Joe had a unit of three Merc vets, 
who had Vanguard as one of their special rules, but they had pistols and Paul and I couldn't really figure out why they had Vanguard and we were like, Oh, this we're missing something. You know, Joe Joe knows what he's, what he's doing, you know. Yeah, there's gotta be something that we're just not understanding here. So when we went out for dinner after the tournament, I said to Joe, Look, you've got to tell me what what was the Vanguard for? And he looked <laughs> dead in the eye and he just said, I thought it'd be funny <laughs> <laughs> He said that was the first day he had played Ogres. Yeah, he's just... Uh, so he uh, just rocked up with an army he'd never played before on the day and thought, this would be fun. He got some pretty good results as well. He had a very good time playing yeah. uh, his army. Yeah, so, he did well, actually. Yeah. He did. He, he pulled very high in the player rankings. Yeah, we'll go through the player rankings at um, the end, I think. But yeah. Aaron... Well, I say Aaron, guys. We should really stop calling them Aaron, guys, because there's only Matt that's actually from Aaron. But, uh, I know. And actually, here's the thing, because we know they listen to this now, because he said that they do. Oh, so is this about swearing? No. Oh, no. Actually, I forgot about that. We're not going to change the swearing policy because yeah, you have to be true to who you are. Sorry. And I think that's going to be way too much effort <laughs> to not swear. No. But sorry, I sorry think... Joe and uh, Pete and Matt for what you're about to hear. <laughs> but um. On the subject of the fact that they're actually not the Aaron guys, they definitely need to start coming to the meets. Because Pete's certainly a Glasgow way, isn't he? Yeah, I, I talked to Pete when we went out for a beer, and uh, he gave me his word of honour that he would attend absolutely every single event, and he was actually going to just come down every weekend and give his games and stuff, so that's 100%. Do you know, I actually heard there were multiple witnesses to that conversation, yeah, so, so Pete, that's Pete, definitely a thing. You are, uh, <laughs> we'll see you at the weekend. <laughs> yeah, but even... Like, if he's around Glasgow, I mean, there's certainly several of us that are in and around Glasgow, and there are clubs that we play at as well, so yeah, and it's if more than welcome to, like, just message us and get a game organised. Yeah, if anyone's listening and they are from Edinburgh or Glasgow, or, you know, just somewhere a wee bit further away from Stirling, uh, you should still absolutely get in contact with us, because there's guys in Edinburgh and Glasgow and further afield, uh, so give us a shout, and we'll get games in uh, certainly particularly in Glasgow um, we've had a few guys attending like um, Glasgow War Games clubs uh, Sunday games and things like that so yep. it's something that we're going to actively look to be doing a bit more over the next few months I think I think Joe and Henrik should totally meet up for regular games because they're both down in Ayrshire way yeah that's a really good idea and I know like that's obviously a bit of a pain for Henrik because of work and stuff so yeah. If uh, Joe fancies a game against uh, a lovely man and his dwarves, just then exactly. that's ideal. Oh, this is also a spoiler. I'm going to um, talk a lot about Henrik later on. Because <laughs> I think he should be recognised for the gentleman that he is. And he, I think he's the nicest guy in the hobby. I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> that's the award Henrik gets. Congratulations. I think next year we'll have that as a thing. The Henrik Award. <laughs> just the Henrik Award. Just him that wins it every single year. <laughs> yeah. Right, will we, uh, will we start our, our breakdown then? Yes, we shall. So the way we were going to do it is um, I will give you a brief overview of my three games. I will do it in rounds. Um, I'll kind of quickly talk about my game. And then we'll do a kind of like breakdown of how the round went across the tournament and the scores and things like this. And then once we've finished all the rounds... We'll talk about the overall results and who won what prizes. Uh, and then we'll kind of do a conclusion thing and then we'll 
maybe at the end we'll mention Midlands, uh, which is coming up and which we have a team going to. Cool. Yeah. So, round one. Round one, which was uh, the bridge scenario. Sure was. And uh, you want to tell us who your team was paired up against? Yeah, so... Oh, shit. I forgot how to pronounce it. Just call him Dove. Dove. That's what everyone yeah. was called on the day. It's yeah. fine. Okay. So, I was the team coach for Scales, Steins and Stashes, which was a team consisting of myself playing Empire, uh, Guillermo, a.k.a. Spanish Stallion, who was using his Saurian Ancients, and Tim of ETC fame, who was uh, using his Dwarven Holes. Yep, so that team name now makes sense. Yes. So we were drawn against Dovey in the first round, which consisted of our good friends Nick Armitage, who was using his Beast Herds, Monroe Armitage, who was using his uh, Dread Elves, and Stephen Cormack, who was using Dwarven Holes. So for pairings for this one, my team dropped me first. Was uh, that the plan? Yeah, we had a, a quick chat, and basically, my I'm just thinking actually, did we drop? Me? Yeah, no, I think yeah, we did drop me first because the plan was that my my list is pretty flexible. It's pretty all round, so uh, my list was never going to be or shouldn't really be able to twenty old people, just because of the nature of it. But it was always going to be hard to beat, and. I kind of aim for small wins or objective wins. Uh, so it makes it very flexible and quite resilient. So an all-rounder to go down first. Um, they put down Stephen. What did they? I was going to say, did yeah. they put down Monroe? No, right? I nailed this. You know, this is pro-insight, <laughs> pro pro-tactical right here. <laughs> because Stephen's list was obviously a dwarf gun line. Yeah. And I think that was just going to be their tactic for the day. Or I, I kind of thought that would be, because it's super defensive, it doesn't really care who he plays against, so just drop him first. So they did that. However, we, because we're a pro team, you know, and we absolutely didn't just come up with this tactic five minutes before the draw, we thought we would put Guillermo against Steven in an ideal world because he's got lots of impact hits and stomps which get past his... Uh, shield wall rule and he's very fast so he can just run up and get in his face and not take a lot of the Steven shooting so we paired Guillermo against Steven and they gave me Nick which actually I was a bit caught off guard with because I play Nick a lot he's probably I think you and Nick are probably the two guys I play the most probably yeah and when Nick and I play, it's always super bloody, and it's always very tight. Like, I think maybe there's only been huge results either way, maybe like a couple times in all the games we've played. So it's always very tight, and it normally just comes down to who gets the wee bit of luck. Or who's yeah, it's just any dice. Yeah, exactly. So I was surprised that... I think Nick just wanted to have a, have a bash, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they gave me Nick... And that meant that Monroe was playing Tim, which actually we were we were okay with. So the game yeah. plan going in was Guillermo was going to try and be really super aggressive and try and stomp Stephen. Um, I would kind of just see how the wind was going to go against Nick. And Tim was going to play quite conservatively against Monroe and just see what chances Monroe was going to give him. Uh, so this was the Bridges scenario. 
and my game I kind of balls my game up. It was a combination of balls balls his game up and just not getting the magic when I needed it. Um, I basically split my army, which is never really a good idea, and I don't know why people keep doing it because it's never really a, a great idea. And I put my knights and my chickens looking over one bridge with the help of the arcane altar. Oh no, it was just the chickens and knights, sorry. And then I had all my infantry uh, looking at the other bridge supported by the arcane altar. My idea was that I would hold them with the infantry on one bridge and my chickens would hold the other bridge while the knights swept around and just tried to take out this kind of high value stuff. Uh, and it kind of just all started going tits up, really. Uh, <laughs> we should say that your knights had the stalker standard, right? They did, yeah. So, so they could have gone into the river should they needed to. Yeah, I think Nick kind of mucked up his deployment a little bit because he dropped quite early on. He dropped all his stuff quite early on. And right, so you could just counter-deploy. Yeah, and he just put one unit of Minos across one like the faraway bridge, which um, yeah. meant that I could just put my chickens and my knights right in front of that. And really, the, the chickens and the Minos isn't that good because he's got six. No, he's initiative four. Yeah, so the strike at the same time, he's just got shed loads of attacks. That he it's not great. The knights into the minos, though, if I get my knights buffed up, uh, they will blow through the minos and take minimum casualties. Uh, they'll probably take yeah. zero casualties if I can get you know that enemy off. If and if he doesn't get his totems up on there, you know, either. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, it's, that's a matchup I take absolutely every single time. And... I made a ten on the dice charge with the knights into the minos, um, but I didn't get my magic, and it really hurt me because I didn't get my magic. And he had uh, he had a, he had the regen, the druidism regen spell. Yeah. And ah, uh, it hurt. I just couldn't do as much damage as I wanted. So you bounced? No, I, I still broke him. But right. I, I only won combat by a few, and I lost five knights in return, which is unheard of. Really. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really Nick said this. He had he, the unit was out of BSB range. Yeah. So I, I think I won by like one or two, and uh, Nick failed his leadership, and it was it was just pure luck. And he fled, and I caught him, and it meant. That yeah, I think that by the sounds of things, that was just poor positioning on his part like he just I don't know if he didn't realise they were out of range or he thought that they were in range but yeah, yeah. he was quite annoyed by himself after that I think so he put his longhorn block with his two characters um, and his wild wildhorn block on the other bridge supported by the Gortak or opposite the other bridge so yeah these minos were proper isolated uh, so I smashed them got them round and the chickens just sat on the bridge for the rest of the game uh, on the other bridge things didn't go quite as well because I had this idea that I would kill his Gortat with my cannons, which is normally isn't, you know, a big ask. Um, I got it down to two wounds through the steam tank and the the actual cannon shooting. Uh, but I couldn't get those final two wounds off him, so it became quite clear that the Gortat was going to cross the river. So I thought, right, what I'll do is I'll chaff him up with the skirmishing militia, and I'll make it so that he will overrun straight into the bridge, which is impassable, and then that will give me another round while he's repositioning to finish him off. Right. 
which is a good, I think that's a good plan on paper. The issue is, is that I'm a numpty and I didn't position my militia properly. And I was I positioned them thinking that he would have to align centrally to maximise, but actually he could align slightly further over and still be fully maximised because of skirmishes, because he was only going to ever going to get in contact with four, so he could move over a little bit more. And that meant that when he overran, he overran to avoid the river, and he actually got quite a long overrun, and overran, sorry, and he overran straight into one of the infantry units, which had turned to face uh, one of the ambushing Wildhorn units that were coming uh, on from my board edge. So, uh, and then the, the other bridge just became a, uh, sorry, the infantry bridge just became a clusterfuck essentially, because uh, he had these two Wildhorns come on. My shooting was very effective to get them off. Like normally, when the little Wildhorn units come on, you can shoot them, panic them. Then the leadership seven, so you know, 50 50 chance that they just bugger off. Yeah, I just couldn't do enough damage, so they got in, they started, you know, eating war machines and stuff. And the mortar wasn't really doing a lot, I was picking off stuff, but not as much as I was hoping. He was getting, you know, some of these druidism spells off, and I wasn't getting enough of my prayers off. Uh, he got his minos into my spear block, I managed to countercharge with. A supporting unit, and I thought, right, okay, I'm gonna kill these minos just with combat res, uh, and then I'll get on the bridge, and then I can just sit on the bridge and contest it, and then I'll, I'll take the win for the scenario. But I, I couldn't get my prayers off. I just, I, it wasn't even like I wasn't getting enough magic dice because I was. I just wasn't rolling high enough. It was like three dice in a prayer and getting like four or five. So Nick was able to like two dice it or one dice it at one point. It was just, <sighs> I just couldn't. I couldn't get. That's just an off. insult when you one dice your bones. Oh, spell. I know, right? Well, he was getting like plus three. It's just, as long yeah. as he doesn't roll a one or a two, he's fine. So yeah. Yeah, but see, when I do that, I inevitably always roll a one. I know that's the same as me. Like over the course of the um, the tournament, my cannon hit four times. If like the three games, he hit four times, winded on a two, and he rolled a one. My mortar did it three times. The big shot. Sorry. It's just like, I don't know what, there must be some kind of cosmic bullshit going on. Right but anyway, um, I did manage to push the minos off uh, and they uh, ran, but by that point I'd taken you know, severe casualties. I tried to hold the bridge for as long as possible with the infantry, but uh, his, blo- his wild horns managed to break me. And basically, the infantry all ran away or died. I managed to pick off the wild, uh, sorry, the the minos that ran. Well, actually, I, I moved the knights around to threaten them, and they, they ended up running off the board anyway. So at the end of that game, my infantry had all died. The stank was alive. He'd managed to beat up Gortek, which was so uh, nice. Um, what else was alive? The chickens were sitting on the bridge, and that was probably about it. It was, you know, but I managed to kill quite a few bits of his. It was pretty tight. Um, but he managed to get uh, the other bridge. So it was a twelve-eight. Is that right? No, thirteen-seven. I think. It, yeah, no, thirteen-seven. That's right. Yeah, thirteen-seven. Yeah. So I think I, I made a couple of mistakes in that one, but I think basically what it came down, it was just. I just couldn't get my magic off. Right. And we I... had played 
this scenario the day before yeah. as a practice game. Your deployment sounds suspiciously similar to our game, except for that you had the altar on the other side with the infantry for next game. Um, Problem was the plan was shit. <laughs> so was that was our game basically you preparing for that as your strategy to deal with hopefully Nick in that game? Well, I kind of thought I didn't actually think you would give me Nick. I thought I would be playing Monroe, right? Because Monroe's dread elves, because Monroe tends to run quite shitty dread elves um, with a big solid combat unit, and he's got Monroe's got a pretty good record against me. Dread Elves. I think I've maybe only beaten these Dread Elves once. Uh, just because normally he just ends up sh- out shooting me. And bolt throwers are ideal at taking out a lot of uh, good Empire stuff. So yeah, he's got a pretty good record. So I thought Monroe would fancy his chances. And actually, I thought with this list, it was quite good to take out Monroe. So I was, you know, in my head, I was already goading myself up to play uh, Monroe. So when they gave me Nick, it kind of threw me a wee bit. Right, okay. But, um, yeah, I kind of stuck to the general idea that we had because I actually thought that the idea was okay in our game when we were practicing. It was just the execution wasn't there. And I think you were unlucky in a couple of bits in our game. Like, um, your magic and your artillery kind of abandoned you after the first turn. Yeah. But, you know, that's just sometimes, I suppose. And I think that was a wee bit what happened against Nick. I mean, if, I hadn't, if I'd managed to kill his Gortak, that would have made a massive difference mm-hmm. because it meant it would have meant that my um, I could have seen off the ambition Wellhorns and I would have been in a better position for the bridge. I probably would have still lost that bridge, I think, with hindsight. But it would have just meant I was in a better position. I could have contended for it a bit more. Um, but yeah. then I'm sure if Nick, with hindsight, he would have not put his miners so far out. How did so, Nick? deal with the scenario, do you think? Uh, pretty good. Like, it was clear that he was playing for the scenario. Like, he wasn't just right. trying to get over and smash, which, you know, right. priesters tend to do. He was very much um, he will smash anything on the bridge, but he's not going to give it up. I mean, he's yeah. got a good list for it, because he's got the, the ambushing units. He's got the Gortak yeah. that can just go through the river. And I think this scenario did kind of suit his list, because he, he did have all the options, uh, but you know, I think it really could have gone either way, like most of Nick and Mine's games. But you know, it was yeah. it was a really good laugh, and it was actually good fun to play. Um, you know, your pal in a tournament because we were we were doing like what we normally do, which is just talk. <laughs> right. And uh, it's like when you and I play; like it normally takes us three, four hours to play a game just because we like just chat. Yeah, we get distracted about something and end up... Exactly, up yeah. Because we, we yeah. got to one stage where we were talking about something and we were like, oh, it would be cool if that happened. And then we were like, oh, fuck, this is actually a tournament. Like, shut up and get going. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, the team did well. And that, uh, they did, yeah. So Guillermo managed to get a 13-7 out of Steven. Yep. Um, and Tim uh, took his opportunities against Monroe and I think he got a 14-6? No, sixteen four. Sixty four. Wow, that's better. Than, yeah, yeah. So um, we ended up winning the round, which was good, and uh, it was only me that disgraced the team with a, a defeat. But that, seven that points put us... is still. If you're not going to win the game, seven points is still respectable, I think. Yeah, I was just kind of annoyed at myself after that that first game because I think 
I don't know, the magic dice kind of screwed me a wee bit, but I think I should have been able to play it more. And it wasn't, I didn't have the excuse of not knowing the person either, like, because I play Nick so often, I know what these tend to do. And I, just, I think there was a couple things where it just kind of stupid mistakes, which in hindsight, when you're thinking about your games, you just... I think you do kind of dwell a little bit too much on it. Oh, and yeah, it, totally. It, yeah. It's, um, you know, you're, you've got a million and one things to consider, so... Yeah, but, you know, it was, it was always a chance. It, it was a great game and good fun, so... It's the main thing, man. Yeah, take it on the chin, so... But, you know, the team did well, and I think we yeah, were... Yeah, it's really solid we performance, yeah. Yeah, I think you were. You guys had 36 battle points after the first round. So you were definitely top. Pretty good. It was very good. I mean, Um, we sat on those top tables all day. Spoilers. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you did. So, yeah. No, the team did really well. No, really proud of Guillermo and Tim. It was a good good team. Yeah, so the other pairings. So that was obviously uh, the first scenario. So that was the first two teams. Uh, we also had four other teams, so the second pairing was the Old Alliance, which was uh, Edwards KOE, Simon Sylvan Elves, and Henrik's Dwarvenholds taking on the Warriors of Westeros. So Matt's KOE, Peter's uh, Empire, and Joe's Overcans. So the way the pairings went down in their game was Edward and Matt faced off. So that was KOE versus KOE. And Matt ended up taking that uh, 13-7. Did Matt win? Uh, sorry? Matt won. Matt won 13-7. I thought Ed won. Oh, no, you're right. I'm sure Edward did win. Yeah, because he had both bridges at the end. Because mm. he had his big uh, peasant box. Because yeah. he pulled a bullshit charge. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it was a legal charge, yeah, to be no, fair. But, um, uh, yeah, it was... Um, yeah, he basically, one of his um, lances managed to hit another knight unit and bypass a small group of peasants that were maybe, they were just far enough away for the lance to basically hit and then come in behind. So yeah, it was a good charge. Um, So yeah, I'm sure Ed did win that. I think he must have won that 13-7. Simon, Sylvan Elves, he took on Peter's Empire. Um, Simon took that. And Henrik took on the Ogrecans, Joe's uh, shooty list. Um, and Joe won that 14-6. What was uh, Simon's score against Pete? Uh, I think it was 11-9 to Simon. Sure. So, yeah. I think I'm right in saying then that the old alliance... Yeah. Because you played them second round, right? Yes, we did, yeah. yeah. So they, they must have... Yeah, they did well. Uh, and then the third pairing was the Durham Raiders versus Grumble Squeakle. The Durham guys consisted of Danny's Orcs and Goblins, James's Overcans, and Matt's Infernal Dwarves, which looked amazing, by the way. And sure did. Grumble's Quico was uh, Robert's Vermin Swarm, Andy's Dwarves, and Michael's Empire. So they had the Orcs and Goblins versus Vermin Swarm, which was hilarious, because that's exactly what I wanted to see on the day. <laughs> Just a lot of randomness and <laughs> all the bodies on the table. Some of the photos from that game were really, really cool. Yeah, that was pretty cool to see James's Ogre Cans versus Andrew's Dwarves and Matt's Infernal Dwarves versus Michael's Empire. So the Orcs and Goblins won out over the Vermin, 12-8. Uh, the Ogres uh, lost to Andy's Dwarves pretty convincingly, 17-3. Uh, 
that was a complete bloodbath. Uh, I think James only had half a unit of goblins or scraplings on the table by the end of it. Um, and Matt's Infernal Dwarves uh, beat uh, Michael's Empire. Although, to be fair to Michael, he did take out the uh, Kadim, uh, which was very impressive. So, yeah, at the end... Um, yeah, at the end of round one, there wasn't a massive points difference, I don't think, between all the teams. Like I say, like throughout the day, I mean, even when we get to the, the, the last rounds, I mean, you're talking one good game between the top and the, the bottom team, so mm-hmm. it was all still very much to play for after the first round. Yeah, so at the end of the first, the first round, we were top with 36. Uh, all the lines were just behind us in 35. Grumble Squeak Hole were on 31. Durham Raiders were on 29. Uh, Warriors of Westeros were on 25. And Dovey were 24. So, you know, very... All to play for, really. There was no massive w- uh, wins or no massive losses. So. Yeah. So, did you... Um, you were obviously cutting about a wee bit and keeping an eye on a few games. Were there any notable banterous events or... Well, I think everyone handled the scenario really well. There were very few questions regarding the river and the rules about uh, units on the bridge and stuff. Perfect, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, Stephen didn't realise about the dangerous terrain rule uh, for units in the river, uh, starting or finishing in the river for, at each turn. So I think there was a bit of a rude awakening when we told them you had to take DTs for like two <laughs> successive rounds. All the king's guys just floated away down the river. Yeah. <laughs> Oh great, yeah. But apart from that, like I mean, because you're not watching a game for the whole three hours, it's hard to say whether or not people were actually getting rules wrong or not. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a couple of things that I was looking at that looked a little bit suspect, but I wasn't really prepared to go over and stop people's game and say, "Rick, you tell me what the hell's going on here," because that looks somewhat dodgy. Because there could very well be a legit reason, mm-hmm. and um, everyone was like having a good time. There was no one like. You know, really trying to bring up the other player for trying to pull bullshit moves or anything like that most of the time. So, all perfectly above board, I think. So, awesome. No, everyone seemed to really enjoy it. Um, and they looked very good. Like, the tables looked amazing just with the rivers and the bridges. And I mean, we were, just as a general comment, like, a lot of the armies were really well painted. Yeah. So, uh, it was great actually not being able to play because you could just walk around and just kind of drool over the uh, miniatures. <laughs> So yeah. yeah, but yeah, like All you say, at the end good. of uh, game one, I think there was the top team was yourselves at 36, and the bottom team was Dovey at 24, so yeah. 12 points, which between three people is an average of four points, so it's not much, yeah. you know, so very close. So then we broke for lunch, um, and then after lunch we had round two. So We did. Round two pairings, I know we played, so my team played the Yold, apparently that's how you pronounce it when it's got the, the Yold lines. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah. Ed, is that what that line does? Ed reminded me multiple times during the course of the day. He said it was important, but I never really asked him why. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we played uh, the Yold Lions round two. Uh, have you got, I can't remember who the other, we played who? Yeah, so round two, it was yourselves versus uh, the old alliance, or the old alliance. There we go. Uh, Durham 
guys. They played the Warriors of Westeros, and the oh, third pairing was yeah. Dovey versus Grumble. Nice. So, do you want to talk about your game and how uh, the uh, scenario went down? Yeah, so um, this is the bit where I get to talk about Henrik. So, for our pairings going into this, there was, like, everything was kind of, you know, meh, the pairings. There wasn't really any, like, huge green lights going in. We had one super green light, which was if we could get Tim play, playing against uh, Simon Silvanels. Because Tim had uh, rune-crafted flaming organ guns and, you know, access to a few flaming bits and pieces with breath weapons. Uh, so that would have been, you know, super nice to have. But we kind of thought that it was going to be super unlikely that they would give us Simon. So Simon was probably going to be their player in the pocket. Uh, so it was going to be between Ed, who would give himself up, or uh, Henrik. Now... Tim said that he doubted that Ed would put, him, uh, put Henrik down. Sorry, Ed was captain. So Tim thought that it would be unlikely that Ed would give up put Henrik down as their, um, as their player, their first drop. Because he just basically said that he didn't, that didn't seem like an Ed thing to do. <laughs> and, he thought that, <laughs> and he thought that Ed would probably just put himself down and take, take whatever matchup he got. Right. And I thought, no. That that wouldn't happen because you know, this is you know you know grand strategy at its core. You know you're going to put your dwarven defensive list down first. You know Ed's a lovely guy. He's a really nice guy. But you know I think it's tournament time. There's no nice guys. <laughs> this, is, this is we're here to win. You know. Um, Ed walks in. <laughs> and uh, Tim was absolutely right. Ed dropped himself first. I was like you know, good guy Ed. Uh, and we dropped Guillermo first. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Did we? Or did we take, drop Tim? No, you didn't drop Tim. No, we didn't. We dropped Guillermo. We did drop Guillermo. Right. And basically the idea behind that was that Guillermo didn't really mind who he played. Uh, right. Because he was the kind of same as me. It was all kind of, you know, amber lights. Yeah. So me and we should we should say as well like this scenario is a lot more open. Yeah. So this was the camp scenario. Sorry. So basically, yeah. um, it's just a big bash up. But your 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 opponent's camp was the objective marker. So if you managed to raid the enemy's camp, you won the objective, uh, or it was a draw. Both players raided. So Guillermo actually had a really good list for this one because he had mobile scoring. So it didn't really. He felt pretty comfortable playing any of them. And his Gribblies could kind of go up against some of the, the scarier, fightier stuff and all the lists. So he was actually okay. So we dropped Guillermo, um, and Ed chose Simon to play Guillermo. Uh, which was interesting, actually. I think Guillermo... Sorry, I think Ed would probably fancied Guillermo himself. But obviously because he was out of contention, uh, he went for Simon. And then to play Ed, it was between, obviously, Tim and I. And we went uh, we went for Tim. I put Tim down. But really, it, it, it was like I say, it was all kind of, eh, the, the matchups were all right. Against Ed, I think a big, it would just come down to if I managed to take stuff off of the war machines. 
like if the mortar is firing away, taking out his peasant blocks, ideal. Um, equally, if the cannons manage to snipe his uh, Pegasus Lord and his war machines, um, you know, yep, cool, I'll win that game. But if I don't do that, then Ed's got all the tools to completely unravel my army. So it was a bit risky, Where whereas if Tim went up against them, Tim could play very defensively, or this was the game plan anyway, that Tim would play very defensively and he would force Ed to come to him and go for either a small win or a draw. So that was fine. So Tim actually said to me, right, I'll take I'll take Ed, but you need to make sure that you win against Henrik. So I was like, right, okay, that's the team plan. Awesome. So I was going to push for a big win against Henrik. Guillermo was going to just kind of do what he can against uh, Simon, and Tim was going to play defensive against Ed. So that was the game plan going in. Uh, my game against Henrik uh, was just, you know, really good. Uh, Henrik's just a lovely guy. His dice were absolutely atrocious. Uh, I played Henrik at Strife, the singles tournament, and he was using the same dice then, and I told him that he needed to burn those dice and buy new ones, and he came to back to the tournament, came back to Siege with the same dice. And I told him, before we even deployed anything, I was like, you should have got new dice. Uh, and his dice were pretty, uh, they were all over the place, like, he was just, he was hitting a lot, but his twin rolls were absolutely atrocious, it was just all ones and twos. Jeez. Uh, so for deployment, um, Henrik played quite clustered, you know, dwarf player, um, not very surprising. I think he made one big mistake in deployment though, and he had a hill on his side, so he put his camp behind the hill. And he put his catapult on the hill, but his hill, the hill was very far forward, so he basically deployed his catapult on the line. So it oh, really? His, yeah, so it meant his catapult was, like, very exposed, and that that really hurt him later on. So basically, I had the mandate that I had to win big here. Um, I was obviously much more mobile than Henrik. Uh, all my heavy hitters are very mobile, so I thought what I would do was... I'll put my infantry in one corner, I'll put my war machines behind them, and I'll shell them, and I'll spread my hard hitters out, and I'll basically just wait for a gap to open, and then I'll punch through, get in his back lines, and just take his cow, just take all his uh, small units. He had a big unit of deep watch with his characters in it. I didn't actually appreciate how many points were in that unit, because the, in my head I was thinking I'll take all the, everything else in his army, I'll take everything else out and I'll just avoid that unit. Um, but that kind of bit me back in the arse as well. So anyway, the first couple rounds we just exchanged fire. Um, it became very apparent that Henrik had no intention whatsoever of moving up. So I moved up my infantry to try and goad him out a wee bit. Uh, I put my knights um, in a ruin because they had the stalker standard. Uh, and basically just put them in a position where they were angled towards his uh, forge wardens who were sitting uh, just in front of the, the catapult at an angle so that basically if I hit them I would overrun at the catapult which would then I could overrun and get into um, yeah, the uh, greybeards who, who was on the other side of the hill so I had this, this kind of idea in mind that this was how I wanted to do that the issue was that even it, I would smash the forge wardens and overrun easy, but then I would hit the catapult 
and obviously we'd make that in his round, but that would give him a round to counter charge. And because of the angle that his deep watch were at, his deep watch could get a flank or a rear on my knights. Um, and that would just, you know, wrap them up. And I couldn't afford to couldn't afford to do that. So basically the knights just sat and waited for the first three turns for their opportunity. I pushed the chickens up on the left flank to um, go down his seeker unit, which worked. Um, and then I managed to get charge off the, the, the chickens and the seekers. And basically I accepted that the chickens were going to die. But the chickens going in the seekers should be able to wipe out the seekers. So it was like kind of mutual assured destruction. Yeah. Uh, and just keep them out of the game. And it would also force his deep watch unit to either commit and take out the chickens and help the seekers or hold their position and keep an eye on the knights. So basically my whole game plan here was trying to force Henrik to move or make a decision. Uh, so the first couple of turns we exchanged fire. Um, my cannons failed to destroy the his single catapult. Got it down to one wound, and I just couldn't take that last wound off it. His uh, miners popped up behind my war machines after the infantry had started marching off. This was just a mistake by me. I, I didn't leave any of the state militia or the writers back to protect the war machines because I kind of thought that he would drop his miners next to the camp. So I had my units of state militia like hovering beside the, the camp in case the miners popped up there. And I didn't really, like, it was stupid because it was so obvious, but I didn't think that he would put the miners next to the war machines. But it's just such easy points, like, why wouldn't you do that? Mm. Um, the cannon failed to volley gun the miners off, I think only killed one of the volley guns, so... Yeah, so the, the miners took them easy. Um, I then I sent over a unit of state militia to try and snipe them, and I put the, them too close to the miners because the miners ended up overrunning. Uh, from he took out the cannon, overran it in the mortar, and it overran from the mortar and in my state militia. It was just a it was just stupid placement by me. I, I should have overseen that. That was just a big mistake. Um, and I just gave him more points. Like those miners <laughs> easily tripled their points through those uh, units. So that was just a mistake. However, uh, where all the action was going down, my infantry were pushing up, and I could tell that Henrik was getting quite nervous because <laughs> this wall of infantry was closing in, and the knights were still sitting there waiting. It couldn't really hurt the knights where they were because their armor and the cover was helping them. Uh, the chickens and the, the seekers were just slugging away, and it was becoming pretty evident that um, he was going to lose his seekers, um, and I was probably going to lose the chickens, but there was the chance that maybe uh, one chicken would survive and I could get round and just attack his camp with just that one chicken. Uh, so he finally made the, the decision that he was going to send the deep watch into the chickens and just wipe them out and then hopefully reform in time to get face the knights again. What happened was my infantry managed to get up. Uh, I got charges off with my big block of uh, infantry and his greybeards. One of the support blocks charged the catapult, which was the important charge. Um, and then the knights charged the forge wardens who were on the hill. I smashed through the forge wardens with the knights who overran in the catapult, who then uh, smashed the catapult and overran in uh, the flank of his greybeards. And then I wrapped that unit up. So in the space of a turn, really the only thing he had left was the deep watch. And I got his kit, the knights turned around and got the camp. Uh, so all he had left was the miners, uh, unit handgunners who were out on the far uh, right hand side and his uh, graybeards. Getting off that kind of multi-charge 
where you're basically charging things that are in combat. Yeah. So you're getting multiple additional combats effectively. That like I've seen people do it and it's amazing when it happens. But when it happens to you, that must be absolutely soul destroying. Oh totally. Yeah, yeah. And I actually said that to Henrik, I was like, I'm really sorry, but that's what I was kinda of looking for. I was looking for that opportunity. Um and he was like, No, no, I know. He, it sucks, but you know, that's just how the game is. So you know the, for so that to happen, you know, he was just just such a nice guy. He was just like that. Nah, that was just you know bad position on my behalf. You know whatever. And to um, be fair to him, I mean, it was obviously a well crafted list to degree because despite that happening, do you know? I mean, how many points did that actually win you? Well, this was it, right? So when this is happening, I'm taking off all these units, and I, you know I kill off the seekers, um, and you know everything's going really well. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm gonna, this is gonna be a huge win, right? I'm thinking twenties. Uh, like my team's gonna be so proud of me that I got this first one, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it le- legitimately wasn't until we started counting up the points at the end of the game because what he did was he's um, my knights tried to catch the handgunners who fled and then rallied at the last turn out too far out the way so that I never got the handgunners and um, his unit of greybeards not greybeards sorry deep watch basically just went for a walk and that had like the runesmith the king and the BSB in it and. He just walked them away, so there was no chance I was going to get those points. And even then, I was like, at turn 5-6, I was okay with that. Because I thought, you know, if I actually went for that unit, he's probably going to get something out of me. I might get the unit, I might not. So it was probably easier just to let him go. I had the camp, there was no way he was going to get my camp, because I managed to uh, chaff him up with his miners up with the other unit, State Militia. So everything was really good. I thought, you know, yep, that's fine, good result there. And we started counting up the points. Like... I just wasn't getting anything out of him. Yeah. And uh, he had some, like, over 2,000 points just in that one unit. Yeah, it's such good points denial, oh, isn't it? I was just, like, I had these army list right in front of me as well. I think I just got too enthralled in the moment, like, taking off all those units. I was like, this is great. Like, I've killed lots of shit. This is great. Um, that I just didn't keep an eye on the points. Uh, so it was actually a 10-10, believe it or not, at the end of the day. Um, because he'd taken out my war machines, one of the, uh, sorry, he'd taken out my war machines, both state militia units, and uh, the chickens, and uh, that was, you know, about the same as what I took out of him. Uh, what swung it for me to get 13-7 was the fact that I got his camp. Yeah. So, yeah, that was it at the end of the day, 37, but I felt that that was a, like, proper, like, uh, rude awakening when we were counting up those points because I thought I got a massive win there and I'm kind of like grinning to Tim and Guillermo either side of me like yeah this is, this is going well <laughs> um, but nah, 37 that's cool so the other that was games, probably your dwarf hate getting uh, the best of you I know but like Henrik's just so nice like it's, it's really hard <laughs> to hit him and like he's he's pay- in the process of paying up his dwarves just now he almost had them completely done for siege um, he just had like one or two units that weren't uh, finished yet and they're absolutely like breathtakingly good they are like if, i mean it's the type of thing where they look good on the table but then if you pick up one of them and look at it yeah individually they're like bananas. that's a lot of work just in this one little guy yeah just looks so so good his color scheme's amazing like all the little sigils are just so nice and um, his bsb yeah. has got this it's like a it's almost like a tudor rose sigil it's one of the sigils from the dwarf houses of marienburg apparently um, cool. And he's hand painted all that, and it's just it just looks incredible. Yeah, it's really tidy paint job. Like yeah. all the details on the shields and stuff look really good. So the other results from that one, um, 
Guillermo managed to get a 13-7 out of uh, Simon. Yep. And Tim managed to get a 13-7 out of Ed. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tim's game was funny because Tim had, like, we discussed this and I'd said to Tim, right, okay, so just play conservatively, uh, go for a draw, essentially, you know, just don't let him get a big win there because I think I'll be able to get a win and Guillermo is feeling lucky against Simon. So we were all fine. We just didn't, we couldn't let Tim lose big to Ted. So Tim was like, that's fine. I'll castle on a corner. Absolutely cool. Awesome. So I'm playing away. Gets to turn two in my game. I look around and Tim's entire army is vanguarded right up into the face of Ed. And is uh, a big uh, horde is in combat with one of um, sorry, Ed's peasant blocks and there's the shit all flying all over the place and not literal shit but you know dwarf shit and uh, everything's not in the corner absolutely not in the corner and I turned to Tim and I said what happened to the corner and he went eh, I, I felt lucky <laughs> But I was walking about like having a just a little uh, look at how everyone's game was going and you know there were I think there were still maybe even some people still setting up and I'm looking at their table, and I'm like, holy shit, like, how did that even happen? Like, presumably Ed must have charged Tim at that point, because there would have been no reason not to. Yeah, I think so. Um, it basically came down to that game, like, when we called our coaching time. Tim basically said that um, if Ed could get flank charges off and roll his big unit, Ed was going to win big. But if Tim just kept grinding stuff down with his units... Um, stopping those flank charges then Tim was looking at a small to medium win so you know it, it paid off in the end and he managed to get the result and we all got 13-7 which was yeah which was really good. a solid team performance yeah and actually I got the lowest points like in terms of uh, victory points out of, that, out of our team yeah. just like that, that one unit it was just so many points and it was just something I completely didn't appreciate I really should have targeted it more because if I if I'd got that unit, you know that would that would have been a big win. But ah, uh, la vie. This is fast becoming the uh, motto of the show, but it's just fucking dorms, man. Oh, just, I know, I know. You can I'm just really do that. Tan- you just build these really good tanky units that are really, yeah. really hard to shift. I mean, his deep watch were just hand weapon shields, so it's not like I'm particularly scared of them. They're just so hard to shift because they're bodyguard, yeah. play armor, shield, shield wall. Yeah, you really need to get lots of units into them, Um, which I I potentially could have done, but my game plan was never to engage that unit, it was to take everything else off. Yeah, I think that's a good plan, because you're, I think as soon as you commit to trying to do that, you're having to put so much in that chances are you're not going to ever get the points back, which gives him the opportunity to use the rest of his units, so you probably played that right, I think. I think I played it right if I managed to get his miners off, which there was no reason why I shouldn't have been able to do that. That was just a mistake. I shouldn't have, uh, I shouldn't have let them get in like that. But you know, yeah. it was a good game. Uh, everyone enjoyed themselves that round, so it was good. So, yeah. and we should say that a lot of people made uh, an amazing effort when it came to the camps. There were a lot of excellent yeah, uh, yeah, camps yeah. on the day. Like, really impressed. That, that was um, from an organisational point of view. That, that was like a really like nice moment. I think just that everyone had really bought into the tournament, and uh, it was just so many really nice camps. 
there was one or two maybe not so nice camps, not mentioning names. <laughs> James. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, everyone really put the effort in, and yeah, it was actually it was really nice. What did James have? Did he just have like barrels or something? Yeah, he just had like a movement tray with barrels on it. <laughs> to be fair, that was a hell of a lot better than some other people's lists, uh, some other people's camps. Yeah, I think you know we said that when we were talking about and we were actually making up the scenarios that you know we're very realistic that sometimes you know life's very busy and you don't have time to do all those extra bits, especially if you're getting stuff painted for the tournament itself. So yeah, I think we kind of prepared ourselves that people might do that. I, mean, that, I, I know personally, I kind of prepared myself that most people would do that. So I was just really pleased that actually the vast majority of people did put the effort in and make really nice camps and. Yeah, it no, really absolutely. Good on the table, like all the camps looked really smart. They did, and they were all very uh, fluffy. Like, people had made a real effort to try and reflect their army in yeah. the camp. Um, so you know, that was very cool. So just we'll get to the overall results then for the second yeah. uh, game. So I should say before I do this that I've just double checked the scores for Ed's uh, game one against Matt, and he did win big. Uh, I just had the wrong note down. He won eighteen two. Jesus. Again. Yeah, against Matt, yeah. So it was a big win. Like I say, he basically got both of his huge uh, peasant blocks on the bridges, so he got the secondary. So I'm presuming, presumably that was a 15-5. Yeah, the only way you want to shift them is just mortar fire, catapult fire. It, so. Yeah, but uh, back to round two. So we had uh, your team, Scales, Steins and Stashes versus the Old Alliance. Each of you guys picking up uh, 13-7s. It's pretty solid. Good result. Yeah, definitely keeping yourselves uh, in the running. Uh, second pairing was the Durham guys versus the Warriors of Westeros. And for that, there was Matt's uh, Infernal Dwarves uh, took on uh, Matt's KOE. And Matt actually took that one 11-9. Which Matt, though? Because it was Matt off. Matt Reed. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Matt Reed uh, with, with his uh, Kingdom of Equity beat uh, Matt Wilson. Infernal Dwarves 11-9. And then James, with his Ogre Cans from the Durham uh, Raiders, he beat Peter uh, 20-0. A big win for the Ogres in that game. Danny, with his Orcs and Goblins, uh, was against Joe and his Shooty Ogres, and the Shooty Ogres took it 12-8. The third pairing was Dovey versus Grumble. And the teams basically allotted Stephen and his Dwarven Holds, up against Robert's Vermin Swarm. And Robert took that 11-9. Nick and his Beast Herds were against Andy's Dwarves. Andy won that pretty comfortably with 16-4. And Monroe took on Michael and his Empire. So the Dread Elves took that for Monroe with 15-5. I'd be really interested to know what the the parents were for that one. And how they went about it. Do you yeah, mean? because Nick playing against Andy is a really bad pair. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, I don't. I Andy don't know if Nick all thought. The answers to Nick's list. Yeah, I don't know. Like this, it would be interesting. Like it would have been a good to get some of the guys on, but um, unfortunately, just people had other commitments and things, which is totally yeah, we did fair try. enough. <laughs> yeah, and we uh, given the fact that basically, yeah. yeah People gave up their weekend for the tournament, so giving up another night, you know, it's a bit of a total ask, I suppose. So, yeah, uh, 
very much. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's this is it. Like I never really had an opportunity to speak to the guys in terms of how they went about the parents. I'm pretty sure I overheard Nick and Manoa at one point talking about uh, strategy for one of the games, and I'm pretty sure Nick was. Like you say, Nick's a super laid-back guy. He was just like, yeah, it's do we want one, no. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if there was much strategy going on in that team with regards to the parents or what, but um, speaking to Monroe, I mean, he certainly said he was having a great time. So again, after the second round, if we look at the general ones, you guys came out with 39 points total. Uh, the Durham guys took 37. Grumble got 32. Dovey got 28. Uh, the Warriors got 23. The old alliance got 21. So again, it's still less than 20 points difference uh, in the second game in terms of the number of battle points being scored. So still very close. Yep. So at the end of this one, we kind of clocked that we were sitting, you know, top, and you know we'd had two rounds win. You know, two sorry, two wins, two rounds. Uh, we'd all won our second game, so we were feeling pretty confident. We kind of worked out pretty quickly that we would be playing Durham in the final round because Durham had managed to get that big win with James. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the rest of the guys had played pretty consistently, so they were racking up points. Um, I mean, Andy had an absolute stormer of a uh, day, Andy Cowan. He was just racking points everywhere. I think he got, was it 51 points overall? Yeah, he was the 60? top uh, yeah. player. Yeah, like absolutely just destroying people left, right, centre. But um, his team wasn't getting the results to kind of match, so we knew that they would kind of come in maybe third, or they were sitting third. Uh, so it basically, we, we figured out pretty quickly that it would be a showdown between us and Durham, and as long as neither team lost big, we were kind of looking at first and second. It was just who was going to get there. Yeah, so it was all to play for, all very tight. Yep. So do you want to talk about your uh, third and final third game? Third and final game, yeah. And how the parents went down? So, for this one, again, all... Well, for me personally, all the lists were like, okay. Like, I wouldn't really have minded playing any of them. Uh, James's Ogre's list was the big monster mash, all the Rocker Rocks and stuff. That was pretty nasty. Um, Tim and I were both kind of like, we'll, we've got okay answers to that. Not great answers, but we'd probably take our chances. Uh, Guillermo um, wasn't too keen about playing James because James's monsters are a bit scarier, I think. <laughs> and it would basically just oh really? Like, I, part of me when it might have thought that Guillermo might have fancied that. Well, Tim Tim thought um, that Guillermo was actually in an okay position to take little James on, but I was kind of the more conservative voice in that discussion. Okay. I was, I was kind of saying, oh, I don't know. I think that's maybe the one that we want to avoid. Just uh, because it could. Either way, and yeah. at this point, you're trying to exactly, yeah. get safe points. That game basically comes down to who gets impact hits uh, because yeah. you just got two big monster armies hitting off each other. So uh, that was the one that I kind of thought was too risky. Um, so Tim was kind of in our heads, we were thinking maybe Tim to take on James then. Uh, because basically, if I took on James, it basically just comes down to do my cannons operate, and if my cannons operate I can take out his gribblies, if they don't operate, he's going to stomp over my squishy toughness 3 infantry yeah. uh, so Tim's kind of in the best position to take that on and then that left either Matt's Infernal Dwarves or Danny's Orcs and Goblins for myself and Guillermo we thought that Guillermo would actually be a good matchup for Matt 
because um, Matt's list was pretty MSU, not complete MSU, but he had you know, multiple smallish units, medium-sized units. Uh, the, the big thing was the, the paint train, the infernal engine, and the titan. But if you managed to combo charge them, or you avoided them and took out everything else, you know, I think Guillermo was in a good position to take that list. And that left uh, Danny, Danny's goblins against me. And we were in, like, Danny and I, Danny's army and mine are kind of similar, kind of all roundy. He went more shooty, um, whereas mine's can play quite defensively if it wants as well. So, pretty similar armies. And I think that would just come down to, you know, we would just shoot the shit out each other and see who got the points. I, th I thought I had the advantage because my uh, punchier stuff I thought was better than Danny's. So like, Danny had two spiders, I'm not scared of spiders at all, my knights and steam tank and artillery will eat spiders. So I thought, you know, that's good points for me, take them out, try and take my chances with the rest of it. So can I ask, oh, yeah. who did they drop first? They dropped... Did they drop Matt? Matt first, yeah, which caught us off guard. I was almost certain that they would drop um, Danny first. Right. Drop Matt. Uh, we dropped Tim first. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, because we didn't want to drop Guillermo because we thought that James would take Guillermo. Yeah. Because uh, I think James would fancy his chances, and quite right, I think James had the edge in that matchup. So we dropped Tim. Tim, they dropped Matt. Um, so then it was a decision because you know I, I would have taken Matt, I think, or I would have, you know I would have taken that matchup. But we thought Guillermo was in a his list was kind of better suited to it, so we, we put Guillermo down to play Matt, and then that left Danny and me to duke it out as well. Okay, so, that's interesting. Then so yeah. that means that James or they chose James to go up against him. Yeah, because I think. I mean, James's army, because it's all monsters and stuff, is very point-and-click. Um, and if it works, he's going to win big. And if it doesn't work, he's going to lose big, I think. I think that's just the nature of the kind of list that he's had. So do you think that was kind of along the same thinking of why you guys chose Guillermo to go up against Steven's dwarves? Just because of the impact hits and the stomps and stuff? Yeah, I think so. The, the thing that we had going for us was, one, Tim is a, you know, a very good player. And not, not that James isn't. James obviously is a very good player. He came... Uh, Second at Siege, uh, Strife, didn't he? James. At Strife? Yeah, he pulled yeah, yeah. very high. I yeah. couldn't tell you where exactly, but he did very well. So, you know, James is a good player. I played him before. Um, but Tim's list catches people out because his big horde, vanguards, and he's got lots of shooting, but he's also quite tanky because he's got lots of great weapons. So um, there was potential there that Tim had answers to his monsters. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that would just come down to positioning. And Tim had, you know, Tim's ETC players who's vastly experienced. Uh, so we thought Tim might just be able to get the edge there. So, yeah, that was the thinking behind the matchups. Okay, cool. So I played Danny. Um, and I dropped all my infantry into a corner. And I put my war machines behind it. And then I put my knights on one flank, supported by the arcade engine. And I put my chickens and steam tank on the other flank, 
and the plan was I will sit back and shoot for as long as possible. If he comes towards me, I'm going to get round and try to take out his spiders and maybe his war machines, pick up points. Um, and I will try and mortar the shit out of his goblin blocks, try and force panics. And if I get a chance to take out his general who was jumping around on a squick, not a squick, cave nasher, yep. um, I will take that. So that was my kind of general plan. Um, and it worked okay. The big bad thing that happened early on, and at the end of probably I think at the end of round two, I was kind of thinking to myself, this is going to look really tits up, and I think I might have just fucked this for our team, because my knights had a I can't remember what it was, but it was a pretty easy charge. I think it was like they needed a seven to get an a spider. It was relatively easy, and they didn't get it. And it was one of those terrible charges where they didn't get it, but they got really close, and they got high down, uh-huh. so they, they moved forward five or something. So it was basically an auto for his spider, and I thought, he's going to, oh, that's really going to hurt, because he's going to hit them, he's going to eat them with the spider, and then his spider's going to be, you know, far up and can get into the infantry, and he had a big unit of cave trolls who were just trundling towards the infantry as well, and that wasn't going to be nice. I really needed to do damage before, do damage to the rest of his army before those trolls got in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that wasn't looking good. Um, he strangely put both his Nasher teams on one flank, which kind of let me isolate them a bit. The Wrecking teams? Yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry, the Wrecking teams, not the Nasher right. teams. Um, which I was completely okay with because I had my Stank and the Chickens on that side. Mm-hmm. So I would just let them do their thing, and then if I got a gap, I would take it. If not, I would just move about and kind of lead them on a chase. Um, and he had another. He had one of his. He had two spiders, one on each flank, and he was kind of resistant to move the spider on the the stank side up. And I think I think it was just because the stank, which is right. I mean, the stank does win in that fight if the stank was in at full health. Um. So it meant that the stank could take pot shots in the tank. Eh, sorry, the um the spider, and I managed to take a couple wounds off him. Cool. So yeah, everything was going okay, but then that field charge hurt. So he got his spider in, all the while his war machines were capping off rounds, you know, taking off bits and pieces. But then I got, you know, a bit of luck that he didn't do an awful lot to the knights. Their armor saves really helped them. This was this game was the my game for armor saves. My one-up stuff just just wasn't dying. He just couldn't do damage because <laughs> the spider's only strength five, so it's only minus two to my armor. Yeah. So I'm still on threes, threes up. Um. So he didn't do enough damage. I managed to do a couple of wounds back because of hatred, and I got uh, the reroll to wound prayer because he was adamant that he just wasn't allowing me to get the ward save. Right. So it meant I was rerolling. Was actually I was thinking that's a better option for me. Uh. So I managed to do a few wounds. I had the banner. Um, so he lost, he stubborn six, but he failed, he was out of BSB reroll range, he ran, chased them, got him. Um, and then, when that happened, I'm thinking, right, game on, <laughs> this is exactly what we planned. It was a bit messier, I lost a, maybe a couple more nights than I t- intended, but uh, this is going okay. Uh, but I tried to get my knights up and round, he threw a mad get at me, which didn't hit me, but it kind of got in that awkward position where it was, if I'd... I wanted to charge round his goblin units and his war machines and just wrap up his backfield. But if I'd done that, it was looking like I would have to get go through the mad get. 
until I remembered that you can charge off the table. Mad, yes. mad strats. So there was actually a way that I could charge um, and get half my less than half my unit off the table, and then wheel. Is it? Is that the rule? It's less than yeah, half the unit. you can't. Unit. You can't end uh, the movement with any of your unit off the table, and you can't have half or more than half of your unit off when you're doing the maneuver. So I managed to wheel round, and uh, Danny wasn't too pleased about that. <laughs> that seems like a very gamey kind of thing. It, I think it is, but I think it's it's to stop situations where units get absolutely trapped. Right. Okay. Because it is meant to be a battle simulation at the end of the day, so it wouldn't be like, oh, I can't go any further in that field. So I understand why it does feel a bit gamey. I felt very dirty when I did it. I could tell that uh, Danny thought he'd really penned me in there. Um, so I managed to get round into the war machines, wrap up the war machines, um, at which point I was taking casualties because he was throwing it mad gets left, right, centre. So I was having to you know, speed bumps with the knights. I was losing the knights a lot of time. Um, on the other flank, not a lot actually happened. Uh, I threw my writer up to block a Nasher team, took some shots, didn't manage to kill it. Nasher team went through it, then went random and did fuck all for the rest of the game. Another Nasher team uh, went through something and died. Uh, the spider was kind of just waiting. I think he was waiting to see what the steam tank would do. <laughs> the chicken, oh that's what, the, the chickens walked through one of the Nasher teams, which was risky because he could have rolled really high. But I was thinking, you know, I'll, I've got a reroll with the gleaming icon for their panic. I'll walk through, I'll take some hits, and then my chickens will just walk back to my deployment and just chill for the rest of the game. Because they've done, they, they were an empty threat essentially on that flank, and they've done their job. Because these goblin units were advancing, and the trolls were advancing, and I was just shooting it with my uh, artillery. So that was all kind of part of the plan. Um. I got a couple pot shots off the East Goblin uh, general, and I probably should have killed him because I hit him with a great cannon, I wounded with a great cannon, and then I rolled a one for the multiple wounds. Ah, <laughs> that sucks. Uh, yeah, it was it was annoying. So, how many wounds did he have left at that point? He's only got. No, actually, I'm lying. I hit him with the steam tank cannon. That's what it was. Because he's right, got three okay. wounds and a rolled a one, so only took one wound off him. Right. Because he had two. Um, and then when that happened, that scared him. So he started pulling back. And by this point, these goblin units had taken some punishment off the mortar. Uh, his war, war machines weren't being as effective as mine. And obviously he lost his war machines to my knights in the latter rounds. So he started to withdraw and he basically... It was going to come down to points. Um... I had the edge, and he kind of just thought, right, I'll pull back and make this as minimal as possible. Because at this point in the game, James and Tim's game actually was over really quick. So Tim, we knew that Tim had won. He'd won 11-9, which was, you know, very tight. Yeah. Um, and Guillermo was playing Matt, and at this point, uh, Guillermo was fancying his chances. It was very, very balanced. It was very much in the balance. But Guillermo was getting places where he wanted it to be, and... I looked over at the game, and I was thinking, Guillermo's going to take that. 
So actually, a small win for me was ideal because you know that that would see us winning the overall. So that was all fine. Danny tried to get his Nasher, his general, into the flank of my knights who were just popping his war machines, which were nicely situated in a row. So I was just popping, overrunning, popping, overrun. Uh, and then <laughs> my knights refused to die. I think he, I think he overestimated his general and underestimated my knights. And uh, apart from on the charge. He just he just couldn't do damage. I was just making armor saves because like the Nasher's strength six, which is minus three, which is nasty. But uh, the gen the, the goblin on top is only strength four, so right okay. I don't really care. So we just stood there, and I had the banner. He was maybe doing like one wound a turn. Um, I think I did one wound, uh, but then I had the banner another round when I didn't do any wounds. So it was just like. We just kept drawing the combat, and they stood there for the rest of the game, and he just couldn't get those points. So he's basically relying on the cave nasher to do the damage. Yeah, it's only web skill four, three attacks, initiative three though. Yeah. So I think it was worth the risk. I know why he did it. It definitely was worth the risk because he he initially charged me in the flank because I was in at the war machine, but the issue was is when he charged me, I was obviously in contact with the war machine, so I killed the war machine for five. Um, wounds so it didn't actually matter how much damage he did on the charge because he wasn't going to get enough because I had that wound pool so then I won that combat he made his break check and then I reformed and we basically just traded blows for the rest of the game I suppose from his point of view I mean his general's not very many points I mean if that works I mean you've got your prelate and all that in there don't you that's 900 point unit yeah so if he if he wins that that's a math, you know. That's a big swing to him. Yeah. Um, whereas if I get his general, he's already losing, but it's not going to be a big swing. It would still be a small loss. Uh, and his army was pulling back anyway. He decided that he wasn't going to commit, which actually I think was a big mistake. I think he should have just kept going, because if those cave trolls had gotten in my uh, heavy infantry, I think that was going to be game over for me, because there's not really a lot I could do. Um, but he started. Yeah, they're really tough. Yeah, he started pulling back his army. Because um, he decided that he was just going to set up for the small, uh, the small score. So that ended that um, in the middle. <laughs> this was brilliant. So my steam tank charged. Oh well, originally he had his general in this position. And he moved because the general can fly. He jumped him over to the side because um, there was a hill and it was blocking line of sight to my great cannon from the, my great cannon to his general. But it meant that he was something like. 14 inches away from the steam tank and okay. uh, the steam tank could see him and I don't I, I don't think he appreciated how fast the steam tank could be because I started <laughs> grinning and I don't think he clocked what I was grinning at because I was thinking the bull's going to have you he's going he's gonna to go smash your general um, so I rolled and I tantalizingly got a 12 so I stopped <laughs> away from him I used my breath weapon because he'd already taken a win by this point so he only had two left I uh, used my breath weapon. Uh, I, I did two wounds, I think, but he ward saved them. I was like, ah, shit. Uh, his general then flew away, and then I just sent the tank into one of the goblin blocks. And because uh, I was thinking, all I need to do is win here, force a check, and there's a good chance that you'll fail the check, and that's that unit running, and then this tank can just cause havoc. Um. 
I, the, I think we, this tank was in two rounds of two turns of combat just with the goblins, and I just couldn't win. I just wasn't getting enough wounds through. I was getting like two grinds, maybe doing one wound, and it just it was just crap. So then he, he thought he'd try and take the tank out, and he charged these trolls in and the spider. So it was just this massive clusterfuck right in the middle. <laughs> I was going to say it did look like a bit of a clusterfuck at the end. I remember watching the game for maybe fifteen minutes and just thinking, "What the fuck is going on yeah. in the middle of the table?" So I reformed my tank to give the goblin block its flank, um, which was maximising obviously for the goblins. Um, but the goblins weren't like he, he was relying on me to roll ones to get for the goblins because he would fuck off the tank. Um, it, but it meant that he couldn't maximise properly with his uh, cave trolls. He was only getting two cave trolls in, right? And the supports, which was the idea, um, and the spider came in. And I was just putting all my attacks in the spider, and I ended up killing the spider. He <laughs> just couldn't kill the steam tank. I just kept making the armor saves. It was, oh. There seemed to be a healthy amount of smack talk going on at that point, which yeah, was quite fun. It was good. Like, you know, Danny's a really good guy, and it was just, it was a really fun game because we both had orders from our teams essentially to look for either a small winner or a draw. <laughs> like we weren't to pull any crazy shit. It was meant to be very conservative, and you know that's the reason he started pulling back his guys because he thought you saw that I was getting a, an advantage, and that he didn't want to risk it. I think he should have because I think it would have come off for him. But you know that's that's by and by. Um. So, <laughs> yeah, that steam tank that was absolute MVP for this match. He was just taking an absolute beating. He punked the spider. Uh, he was just putting wounds on everything. He just, oh, it, was just, it was just so funny. And Danny was so frustrated that he just couldn't hurt this tank. It was just so funny. Um, so at the end of the game, he'd actually managed to take 650 points off me. Um, he had managed to grab the peasants, which were the objective for this round. Because basically, I'd, I'd decided very early on that I wasn't going to compete for the objective. Which I don't know. I think that was still the right decision, but it did mean that he was going to get them. And the plan was that I will mortar any of the goblin units to take the peasants in the hopes that I can rout them when they drop the peasants. Which actually worked by and large because at the end of the game, only one you only had one peasant left because the other ones had been dropped or he hadn't one he hadn't managed to get one, and uh, one of the other goblin units had dropped because it lost around the combat. So. Um, he only took 650 points out of me. I got um, 1894. Yep. Yep, 1894. Um, and most of that was the spiders and the war machines. Right. Uh, okay. So, you know, that was it was pretty good. I think that was a 137. But, ass was that we rolled to see which one, which peasant was the maiden, and of fucking course it was the one he had. That's amazing! So, uh, that's amazing because that's exactly I know why we had designed the secondary to be like that. Yeah. So that's awesome that actually happened. <laughs> Not for you. We'll but see, we'll I'm see just what we rolled, right? Because <laughs> it was only that one, so we rolled the D three at the end, see which one it was, and uh, fucking course he rolled it. And I was thinking, like, why the fuck did I make that stupid roll? <laughs> 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 because you needed two peasants to get one victory point, whereas it was, it was the big gamble that you really should have to go for all three. Because uh, you're really looking for the maiden, so if you get two peasants, it doesn't matter because you're looking for the maiden. So if he yeah. rolled anything other than a one or a two, 
I would have got a 13-7 out of that. Which is an important that's... point which we will come back to in a second. But yeah, yeah, that's not what happened. He got the maiden, in, so it was an 11-9 to me at the yep. end. Uh, so like we say, Tim had got an 11-9 out of James, which was good. Um, and Guillermo's game, like pure Guillermo, the game just totally turned on him, I think. Um, and Matt managed to really punish him. And Matt got 17-3 from Guillermo. Yeah, Matt actually got 3,760 points. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I don't really know what happened because I was concentrating on my game. But like, I looked over at the end of turn two and Guillermo looked to be doing pretty well. It looked like he was going to get a small win out of it. And then when I looked yeah. back at the end... like. It was interesting because I was watching some of their game and I believe I saw Guillermo's turn six. So it was Guillermo had first turn. And I remember Matt saying something along the lines of he didn't really want to get engaged with Guillermo in the last turn because I think he was under the impression that he was up on points anyway. So he would have taken the win and not risked losing oh, that a lot worse. <laughs> And I think what happened was his Kadim field a frenzy check, hit a unit, killed it, and it overran and hit something else that must have already been in combat or something. And basically, Damn. I think he got his Engine of the Ancients last turn, which is like almost 500 points. Right. So I think... I don't even think what happened was planned. So I think up to that point, it was a very close game. Um, and I think Guillermo did a good job. He was certainly putting pressure on him because I think he was chipping away at wounds on his general as well. Right. So I think he got a summon off, and as it turned out, I think it ended up getting into combat, and he, um, I think he killed it, but I think he did a wound at that point, so his, his general wasn't at full wounds. Um, so I think that was part of the decision that you know Matt was looking at, like, right, I don't like this, because he was right up on his uh, table edge. Right. So Guillermo had pushed straight forward. So, um, yeah, it, it just went against some last turn, um, unfortunately for Guillermo. So, yeah, like you say, it was a big win for Matt. So that gave him a 10-point difference. And, I mean, we'll talk about the final results in a wee second, but just to jump the gun a wee bit, Durham won overall the game first. They finished yep. on 101 points. Yep, we got we came second and we keep, we got a hundred. You did. So that fucking maiden was the difference. Ah, <laughs> oh god! I know that's a painful irony that the rule that you helped write. I know cost you the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, seriously, you know that, that was a really fun last round. You know the Durham boys are you know, just good fun. Uh, we were we were joking and laughing all the way through, despite the fact that it was like a super tense moment. And there was moments in Danny and Ryan's game where we couldn't tell how the other games were going, so we were like really concentrating on our game, like making sure that we didn't fuck up and <laughs> uh, ruin our team's chances. Uh, yeah. But you know, it was it was really good, and we couldn't have lost anyone better, I think. Um, so yeah. Despite getting two wins in the final... Actually, we won the round, really, in two wins with one loss. Well, we lost on points, but um, we got two wins one loss. Uh, despite that, we ended up uh, losing 
first place, which we'd held comfortably all day. We'd been at the top tables all day, and uh, it was just that, that last round that screwed us. And it's really not Guillermo's fault either. Like, he was, he was just super unlucky in that last game. Um, and equally, it was my fault for not closing down those peasants quicker. So, eh. All in good fun, man. Yeah, yeah, no, it was good fun. And, uh, like I say, I don't think we could have lost to better opponents. So, very happy with the team's result. And on the upside, I totally nailed the predictions from last episode and said that I thought Durham were going to take it. That's what we said. I said to James, <laughs> uh, just as we were kind of working out, and it was, we kind of figured that Durham had snatched it. We are like, well, at least our prediction was right. <laughs> <laughs> so, just going on to the rest of the results then, just to wrap up the third round. So the second pairing was Dovey versus the Warriors and they had Monroe and his Dread Elves up against Matt's KOE and Monroe took that 11-9. Stephen and his Dwarves were up against Peter's Empire and he won 14-6 and Nick uh, took on Joe's Ogrecans with his Beast Herds and unfortunately lost that 19-1. So that was a super bloody game. Unfortunate if you're Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunate if you're a beast herd yeah. supporter. Nick and I were talking about this. I think you were there at the end when we were saying like Nick I was Nick's only win all day and he was my only defeat. <laughs> I think the fact that it was you as well that know, was the I only know. win just sweetened that all the more for him, I think. So yeah. But uh final pairing was the old alliance versus Crumble. And Ed's KOE took on Robert's Vermin and won 13-7. Henrik took on Andrew's Dwarves, so that was a Dwarf Civil War. And Andy's Dwarves won that 18-2. And finally, Simon's Sylvan Elves uh, took on Michael's Empire. And the Elves uh, did very well and won 19-1. It's an amazing victory. It's really big. Simon had a very good tournament. He had a really good tournament, yeah. He did. Um... I don't, think given, I don't know, again, I don't know how the parents went, but again, given Andy Henrik, I don't know. Andy just knows that book so well. He literally knows it inside out. Yeah, I've got to think that either that was just, it didn't work out in terms of what they intended, or they thought if he just takes Andy, because Andy had had a good tournament, and they just thought if we kind of feed him Henrik, we can try and pick up more points in their other games. Yeah, but yeah it's hard to say, really. Um without standing over their shoulders and listening to actually what their game plan was. I mean, Henrik's list was good. I think, because I've, I've spoken to Ed uh, since, and Ed was saying that the idea that they'd had for Henrik was just pure points denial, and just make it really right. hard to break down. And Which think, did work against you. Oh, I, I mean, textbook against me. Um, yeah. But against someone like Andy, who really knows the army, like Andy would have known that he needs to get that uh, deep watch block. Yeah, it's a ton of points. So, yeah, I think it just didn't come off as well for him. But, you know, fair play, Andy. He had a stormer of a day. Um, massive wins all three, so. Yeah, he took the, the top spot for the for the players. We didn't really talk about that much on the day because we were obviously just highlighting the fact that it was a team tournament, um, which I think was the right move. But Yeah, we should... I think everyone was getting that, really. No one yeah, really bothered no, about their individual results. It was all part of the team, so I think everyone bought into it. And uh, I think that was... I personally really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, for sure. Really 
Um, but just to give Andy his, his due now, um, he came top, 51 battle points. Um, Massive. He did very well. He got 11,217 victory points. Yeah, and to give you a bit of comparison, the person who came second was Joe with his um, Ogre Cans, and he got 45 battle points, and he got 9,379 victory points. So that is, you know, a monstrous margin between um, Andy, who was top, and Joe. So yeah, yeah. If you go, Andy, good if you go more. middle of the, if you go middle of the pack, which funnily enough, I know. Yourself, <laughs> uh, he had more than well, yeah, just over twice as many victory points. Yeah. It's you know he was his first game, he got seventeen, three second game sixteen four last game was an eighteen two. That's crazy, crazy good. Yep. So, shall we discuss all the winners? Because we had a lot of different prizes on the day. We had a lot of different things up for grabs. Yeah. So. Yeah, let's, we'll go through the final standings first, I think, and then we'll do right, all the, okay. the interesting prizes. Yeah, so it was a team tournament, so we'll do the team rankings. So, number one spot, as we've said, Durham Raiders took that with a total of 101 battle points. Congratulations. Yep, great team. Um, they also won, I'll just say this just now as well, uh, they also won sportsmanship. Um, so that's just a testament to say that, you know, despite the fact that they did very well, you know, everyone actually enjoyed playing them on the day as well. So Absolutely. It's a good measure of a yep. good team. Uh, second place was Scales, Steins and Stashes with 100 battle points. <laughs> it's going to fucking haunt me to the day I die. <laughs> <laughs> Very good performance again. And um, we should also say that, you know, I think everyone really enjoyed playing you guys as well. Um, when it came down to deciding actually who had won the Sportsmanship Prize... It really just came down to victory points. You guys were up there as a contender as well with max nice. sportsmanship points. Oh, well, I take that back. You didn't have max uh, points, but uh, <laughs> you did very well. <laughs> we're not naming names. <laughs> um, no, we won't name names. Uh, in third place was the Old Alliance with 90 battle points. So they did pretty well. They, I mean, their first game... They picked up 35. Their second game, they dropped down a little bit. They only got 21. And then they bounced back with another 34 game three. So they did really well, coming third. Right behind them, in fourth place, was Grumble with 89. So again, only one point between the third and fourth spot. Uh, In fifth place was the Warriors of Westeros with 82 points. And in last place was Dovey with 78 points. So again, even looking at the sixth spot and the top spot, what's that? 23 points? Sure. So, uh, that's... Well, if you consider that's nine games. Yeah. So what's that, an average of 2.3, you know, between 2 and 3 points per game per player? It's not a lot. No, it's really small margins. Um, so, really close tournament. It was. And really close. I'm, so, you know, I'm really proud of that actually, because I think the overall standard was, you know, pretty even. Um, yeah, it was. I think the the scenarios went down pretty well. I think they were all all three scenarios, but I think 
probably just because we managed to play test them quite a lot. They were they were pretty balanced. Um, I think, yeah, I think it was just a pretty level playing field, and that's just that is a result. Uh, yeah, and it was a it was a great vibe in the room. Everyone had a good time. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can't, um, can't say that enough. The armies looked great. Camps were very good. Everyone seemed to enjoy the secondaries. Um, really good. Really good venue, very good company. It was. I mean, I've only been to two tournaments, but that was my favourite one uh, by far. And I wasn't even playing, so I think that is quite a good um, indication of how good it was actually on the day. Yeah, no, absolutely loved it. And I said to you on the day, it felt like it felt like a proud parent because <laughs> <laughs> like the atmosphere was just incredible. Like everyone was laughing and having a joke, and you know, everyone was having a good time. Uh, at the breaks, everyone was like going around. It wasn't like everyone was just darting off to the dark corners. Everyone was talking, having a laugh with each other. Um, the meal after it was fantastic. Like, it was, yeah, what eleven of us managed to go through a meal after it, and you know, just had a good laugh and a, a, you know, a couple of beers, and it was it was just a fantastic day. I really couldn't have asked for more. Yeah, it fantastic. Um, so just given looking at the uh, player rankings. Um, before we do the rest of the awards, like I say, just to kind of give people their due, we'll maybe talk through the, some of the, the top players who did very well. Sure. So, like we said before, Andrew Cowan came top with 51 battle points uh, with his Dwarven Holds. Second place was Joe Prince with his Ogre Cans at 45 battle points. Third place was... Uh, Tim Botnick's uh, Dwarven Holds from Scales, Steins and Stashes with 40 battle points. It's a good result for Tim. Yeah. Uh, also with 40 was uh, Matt Wilson's Infernal Dwarves. And just behind him was Ed's KOE at 38 points. Um, and I think I'm right in saying that every one of those players were from different teams. Yeah. So again, it was very, very balanced. Um, yeah, teams did very well. I don't know if I'm going to run through all 20. What we're going to do, we've basically compiled um, a breakdown of all the results. So we've done it by team. We've done it by... done it. I'm not going to take any credit. For <laughs> Paul Harris' um, work. We've got player rankings. There's a summary page basically with breakdowns per game um, and there's also round breakdowns that has the pairings and the matchups with the battle points and victory points uh, all this will be um, moved over onto Tourney Keeper and that will be submitted online as well but um, there appears to be a bit of an issue with the Tourney Keeper page I'm waiting to hear back from the chap that runs it so until then all the results are online anyway so you'll be able to get hands on uh, all that Regardless, so before we uh, do the, the other prizes, we'll be um, yeah. popping up a feedback form um, up alongside the, the breakdown of the scores. And um, if anyone anyone that went to the event, uh, we'd really appreciate it if you took a couple minutes and filled that out, because it just gives us a kind of idea of what we did well and what we maybe want to improve for for next year. Because I think uh, an easy uh, conclusion from both of us is that you know we absolutely enjoyed organising it, we loved the event, and we absolutely want to do it again next year. 
but we just want to make sure that it's even better next year. So the only way we can do that is by uh, getting some feedback from you guys. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Andy's put together a feedback form. Uh, we'll make that available to everyone. Um, and like Andy said, just really appreciate people's uh, feedback to help us with uh, the event next year. Um, it's like basic stuff as well. Like um, uh, we were talking throughout the day with a couple of people who said that you know they would have really liked it if it was a two-day event. Um, I know that some people prefer it as one day, but um, if you fill out the form, we can kind of gauge how many people like either one. And if there's lots of people, the vast majority want a two-day then we'll add another couple scenarios and we'll make it a two-day event, you know, and that'll be great. But equally, if people prefer it, it's just a one-day, we'll, we'll keep it as a one-day. So It just lets us know. Yeah, absolutely. So the other prizes that we had on the day. Maybe. So we had top team. We had prizes for the first runner-up, which were Gilsing and Stashes. We also had best sportsmanship. And say that again. I'm just to say that I've got the award on my desk right now for second place. <laughs> I can, uh, uh, you did say you were going to hang that up. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a bitch in the stuff. It anyway. Sorry. Um, ignored, uh, so, like I said, sportsmanship. There were a few different teams that got max sportsmanship points. The what we chose to do this year was uh, previously at Strife, we basically just did one to five points, five being the best for sportsmanship. But uh, inevitably, everyone was giving each other fives. So we thought, well, what we'll do this year is we'll do it one to ten, ten being the best. And because it's a somewhat uh, bigger range, maybe people will feel a bit more comfortable giving each other eights and nines for things. And that'll kind of give us a better gauge of who really should take that award. But inevitably, once again, you must have all been either liars or genuinely loved the people because there were multiple teams with max sportsmanship points, which is probably fair enough because, like we said, the atmosphere in the room was great. Yeah. So that's probably not um, probably that. a fair reflection, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But maybe this is just uh, a problem with sportsmanship in general. Um, yeah. But it's, like, it's an award that's really nice. I think that you know sportsmanship points um, are always a good thing to have. Because it's just nice to be like nice to be recognised as being nice. I think. Yeah, and it's I think it's good to kind of highlight that side of the hobby because yeah. um, for us we're doing it to have a good time. Absolutely. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe we change that next year. Maybe we try and find a different way of doing sportsmanship. Yeah. Maybe we just do like a player's choice award or that something like that. That's a better idea. Yeah, like pick your your favourite team that you played against. I mean, the risk is that, you know, you don't play everyone. That's probably a thing that you might want to do for a two-day rather than a one-day. Yeah. Or maybe if we keep it as a team event, we just do best player and make it an individual sportsmanship award. Yeah. Um, we call it the Henrik Award in recognition. Yes. Henrik. I love it already. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that basically came down to victory points on the day because yeah. there were... Like I said, there were various teams that had the, the max sportsmanship. So the uh, the Durham guys took that as well, which, again, I think was fair enough because they were all lovely guys. Yep. Um, we also had the individual prizes for the different scenarios. So for the first scenario, which was the river, um, there were 
relatively few people that actually manage to get both bridges. Hard, right? Yeah, it is very difficult. And I think, again, for us, that was quite reassuring to see that where we had designed the game to be difficult, it was difficult. Yeah. Um, and it was Andy Cowan that won that on the day. He did very well. He got both bridges. And he scored an obscene amount of victory points as well. Uh, so he claimed that prize. Well done, Andy. The second, yeah, well done, for sure. I don't know if we made any predictions about that, but I don't know if I would have pegged the dwarf list to take that, to get both bridges um, so convincingly. I would have probably said Ed, just because I think the peasant list was uh, pretty well suited to that. Yeah, and to be fair to Ed, he did very well in that scenario, and he, he did claim both bridges. It yeah, was just so. that it came down to victory points, and um, I think... Andrew's uh, organ, du- organ gun did very well and basically took off one of the rock rocks one shot, which definitely helped. Jesus. Yeah. Um, so the second scenario was the camp. Uh, we gave that to James from the Durham Raiders. Again, very few people actually managed to destroy the enemy camp. I think his army was very good for that, to be honest. Uh, just having the all the monsters just Steamrolling across the table. Very hard to stop. Uh, So well done, James. Well done. And the final scenario was the peasants. And who won that again? I can't remember. Joe! Joe, of course. Yeah, Joe did very well. He got... He might have been the only one to get... I don't know if he got all the peasants. Did he really? That's really impressive if he did. There were a few people... He might have only got two. There were a few people that did get multiple peasants. Honourable shout out to Pete from the Warriors guys, he actually had scoring units with multiple peasants, which wasn't actually allowed. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which, unfortunately, had to be pointed out to to him at one point uh, that that wasn't allowed. But, um, yeah, no, that was a good... uh, He had a good game against Steven. Uh, It was quite good. (laughs) So, well done, Joe. He took away that award. And we also had the camp award for the best uh, modelled camp. And that was Simon, yeah, his Sylvan Elves. Uh, he had a beautiful camp that he had put together. Quite cool, had some nice miniatures on there as well. Yeah, we should say that we didn't pick um, any of the modern prizes or anything. We got Steve, who owns Common Ground, to be our, our judge. And uh, it came down to between a couple camps. I think there was two that he was kind of thinking about. And he said to us that... Um, he probably, his gut was telling him that he really liked one, but he just wasn't sure because, you know, the standard was really good for all the camps. And, um, yeah, he gave it to, to Simon at the end of the day. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think basically fair. he said that he just had that je ne sais quoi about it. That it yeah. Um, well, he didn't say that. I said that and he agreed. Is it because so, Simon's French? Is that why he did that? I, no, that was a, just that complete app. I should have said yes, but it wasn't even so. Uh, Next level, please. <laughs> so, yeah, there were a lot. He actually said to me that there was maybe like four camps that he really liked. And and so honourable shout-outs go to Tim's dwarf yeah. camp. That was very cool. He basically constructed like a little dwarf mine with like a little train going through it. It was very cool. Matt's KOE camp, don't know if you saw his, he basically had like an altar with like a little grail with like several kind of knights. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I did see that. It was yeah, very yeah. good. Uh, Joe's uh, army, the Ogre Khan one, he had a nice uh, troll ogre guy, like roasting a little human over a fire. That was nice. pretty cool. 
in Andy's dwarves as well. He had a little cool scene with a bunch of dwarves sitting about smoking some pipes on some barrels. Nice. It looked pretty good. Uh, but there were loads. Uh, I really liked um, Matt's Infernal Dwarf. I liked his, uh, the, the Spire tent. Yeah, yeah, really cool. Really smart. Really cool. Um, army was just unbelievable. Yeah, so actually that, that brings us on nicely. He won the Rotten Factory Award for best kind of uh, converted, modelled, kind of grotesque kind of list army build. So totally justified. He had an amazing Infernal Dwarf army. Really cool paint uh, colour scheme. The, his Kadim Titan was awesome. The uh, slug paint train that he had. Yeah, it, was just, <laughs> it cool. just looked awesome on the table. Yeah, the, the whole army really, really worked. Um, and it was quite an unusual paint uh, scheme that you used, but very cool. Yep. And also Best Painted Army was a separate award. That was the Cromlech Award. And that was taken by yours truly, Andrew Lind. Woohoo! How did you feel about that? Were you surprised? I'm, yeah. You seemed quite surprised. I was really surprised. I was dead chuffed with it. Because uh, there was a lot of really nicely painted armies display. I kind of I saw Matt's army in the Feral Dwarves, and I was just like, that would get my vote. I just I thought his army was awesome. Um, so I'm actually I'm really glad that he got the the modeling award because I don't yeah. know if I would have felt like comfortable taking it and uh, painting because I I think that his was like really nice. But uh, no, I'm I'm actually really really I'm more chuffed of getting that than I'm coming in second. If I'm totally honest. <laughs> um, I think it's just really nice to when you put that amount of time into, um, and it's like a project like painting an army and that that you get that. So yeah, no, I'm really really chuffed. Really, really quick touched actually. <laughs> you just need to be really nice to Steve now. Oh, um, yeah, the, I think that was Steve's game plan. That it had nothing to do with how well the painted army was. He was just going <laughs> to bank that in for points later on. <laughs> but so, again, some honourable men- uh, mentions in terms of painted armies. We were. There were loads. There were really, a lot of really cool armies. Henrik's dwarves were fantastic. Incredible. Very, very cool. Yep. Uh, Ed's peasants, the big hordes they yep. had, that must have been a shit ton of work. They all looked really good. I really liked the paint scheme you went for with that. Yeah. Any armies you can think of that you thought were very cool? Uh, Joe's ogres were lovely. Uh, Matt's KOE were gorgeous. It just You just didn't have enough time to get them all finished. Oh, yeah. You had... Um, if, you listened to the last podcast, we talked about his list. He basically had those two dukes on the hippogriffs. Yep. And he basically had these big owls. Uh, so I don't cool. know where they were from, but they were amazing. Yeah, he Very- had like a like a brown owl kind of scheme for one of them. And he'd done like the speckles on the feather. It just looked incredible. Looked really, yeah. really good. Um, People should check out the uh, Twitter feed because there's a lot of pictures from the event on there. So you'll actually get to see yeah. some of these armies. Danny's army as well, his goblin army was beautiful. Just, yeah, it was one of those armies that like he, like the basin was awesome as well. So it just really came together. Like it just visually looked really good and really unified. Yeah, it was really tight the way yeah. it done that. Um, and James's ogres yeah, has reinforced well. my decision to definitely pick up ogres as my next army. Yeah, because they just look amazing on the table. They just when you've got that many gribblies and fatties coming towards you, it just looks <laughs> so cool. So yeah. cool. And like Simon's army was like there was like Robert's. Berman. I really like Robert's yeah. camp as well. I don't know if you saw his camp, but it was oh, very cool. Camp, yeah. We basically had like this big ramshackly tent, really scaven vermin swarm, I should say, kind of style with loads of little like rats running around. It's really cool. Nice. So it was a great day, and um, I think next year, 
I think the scenarios will by and large remain intact. We might tweak things here and there depending on what feedback we get. But yeah, I was actually kind of surprised because I, I kind of thought we'd never discussed it, but I kind of thought that if we did it again, we would do completely new scenarios, which was a bit of a daunting task because obviously it took us a long time to get these ones sorted and it felt like you know, <laughs> yeah. have to do it all again. But actually talking to everyone at the end, everyone seemed to really enjoy them and they, everyone was like, no, no, we'd want to play that again next year. Yeah, which was, I think that's a testament to, you know, I think we maybe did pretty well on that. So Yeah, I think so. And if the feedback is such that people really want a 2D event, then I guess we can look at maybe coming up with two more. Two more, yeah. I think that would be the plan. And just have two on the Sunday. Yep. And I think we've talked about this. We also might just release the objectives. I mean, they're already on the forums. I mean, people can go into the, the appropriate threads on the tour- tournament forum and yeah. They'll, yeah. they'll get access because it's a freely available document. But maybe what we should do is maybe post it on the homebrew section as well, just within the kind of as a custom kind of scenario for people to play at home. Yep. Yep, I think that's a good idea. Um, and that might maybe build the hype for next year as well if people like playing them might uh, want to come yeah, to a tournament. I know there's a lot of like, custom scenarios kicking about in the forums. Um, I'm not sure if the, there probably is like a, a place where you put them. I dare say they're probably in and amongst like the, uh, the kind of homemade army books and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's nothing stopping us from just popping them in there and see what people think. Yeah, sure. Because I guess we've got the benefit of playing them a bunch of times and seeing it run in a tournament, so we're probably better placed now to answer people's questions yep. and kind of deal yep. with that uh, on the forum. So I think that'll be good. I agree. Uh, so that, that was it for prizes, isn't it? I think we've covered everything. Yeah, so just kind of concluding thoughts, I think. Yeah, so how did you think it all went down? As someone that was actually involved on the day and seeing people actually kind of react to the scenarios and things? Uh, as a player, like just playing it, um, like thoroughly enjoyed it. I think that's been the most enjoyable. I, like, I, I, I love tournaments. I, I really enjoy them. I just love it's just great banner. Like, <laughs> yeah. Tournaments. Um, because I've never, I've never come across someone that's just like an arsehole. I know, I know that these people do exist because you hear about them, <laughs> but I've never come across any. And everyone I meet at these things is like really nice, really friendly, that just good laugh. Um, and even having said all that, I think, like you, this was my favourite. Uh, I think the team that was this was my first team event. The team element I totally loved. It totally changes how you approach the games. I think it makes them just... It's more fun, I think. Cause it's just, you know, it adds a, another layer to the game. It makes it that little bit more strategic, which is, you know, something I really like. Um, oh, everyone was just great. The banner was good. The atmosphere was good. The, it visually looked awesome. Like, you could just tell, like, when you were looking around, like, all the games looked incredible. Uh, everyone enjoyed themselves. Food was good. Venue was great. Steve was awesome. Dinner was great after it. Beer was better. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I just like, ten out of ten. Like, I would, I was actually a little bit sad that it wasn't a two day, just to give you a little spoiler of my my internal thinking. Because um, when I woke up on the Sunday, it was just like you, you just wanted more, and I think. If you come away from an event like that, that's a really good sign. Yeah, I think the, the more we talk about it, I think in part because there was so much work that had to go into it, 
it being a one day maybe feels a little bit like we're almost not giving it its due. Yeah. I mean, but we'll see, like, we'll, say, we'll wait for the feedback. We'll see what people think yeah. because we don't want to ruin a good thing either. So Exactly, yeah. But I think a big part of this year as well was to test the water a bit. Cause yeah, we'd, definitely. We'd had, and Strife was our first singles event that you and Ed organised and that was a bit of a risk as well, but that ended up being really good. Everyone really enjoyed themselves. So, you know, absolutely Strife's happening again. Uh, but this was a team event. It was going to be custom scenarios. We didn't know if it was going to work. It was three-man teams. Was that all right? Uh, so this was probably a bit riskier than Strife. Um, but general feedback on the day, I think everyone thoroughly enjoyed themselves and definitely be looking to do it again next year. Actually, it is happening again. It is official. Strife 18. Not Strife. Strife 18 is happening. Siege 18 is happening. Yeah. It's just a case of maybe tweaking things and maybe expanding it to a two-day if people are interested. If not, we'll run it as a one-day again. We might change scenarios, we might not. We'll see what happens. Cool. So, just on that topic, I like future events. I mean, like Andrew says, Stripe's going to be happening next year. Yep. Siege is definitely going to be happening next year. We should also say that the Scottish ETC team are going to be running a, a GT in March, early 2018. Yep. At the same venue. At Um Day. And there is, that has already been launched, it's been announced, there's a thread on the tournament forum yep. on the Ninth Age website. So if people actually want to come up to our club, check it out and kind of see what we're raving about and kind of experience the community and stuff, then that's going to be like a prime opportunity to do so. Um, that's Felix, who is the Scottish ETC coach, or captain rather, for 2019. That's right, right? 2018. 2018, yes, because this is 2017. That's right, Paul. Correct. Numbers. <laughs> That's um, I fuck up numbers. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm still tired from the event, man. Like, I'm still recovering. <laughs> I think I've um, got eye off it. I think that's got my feeling. Yeah. That too. No, it was a great weekend. Uh, but yeah, so Felix is running that in March. So please sign up. Come up. Uh, meet the community and get involved. It'd be great to get even more people uh, coming up to the kind of Sterling scene. Um, and that will be a two-day. Yeah, that will be getting run as a, a proper GT. So for hardcore kind of tournament guys, you're more than welcome. Come up. I'm sure it'll be a great day. Or two. Or two. Yeah, a great weekend. Because yeah. we're both playing, aren't we? I've, I've signed up. Actually, yeah. I didn't oh, yeah. even sign up. Felix signed me up. <laughs> you got told. I got swiped by my captain, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely playing. Yeah, yeah, I'm signed up. And then talking to the ETC guys, they're all looking forward to it. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. And I think the general consensus is that we'll run uh, Strife um, in June-ish, maybe? Yeah, we'll probably give people two or three months yeah. uh, between so the Scottish Championship. Yeah, and strife, and that's good because it kind of fills the void that kind of six month gap between the Scottish Championships and when we rerun Siege in the autumn time. Yeah, because I think we'll keep Siege about this time. That's, yeah, that's I think that's a solid yeah. time to have it. Because that's a really good timeline for us. We've got you know three tournaments spread uh, across the year, and then that also gives us a bit of flexibility to do our own kind of things. Because I know that we're going to try and get to some of the bigger. Uh, Gaming shows like Carnade, Claymore, those kind of things. Maybe have display games or uh, participation games. Yeah, so we're going to get be people involved. Definitely promoting Ninth Age uh, up in Scotland 
couple of these big events. And again, we've also talked about going to more tournaments down in England, possibly even further afield. Like, it'd be good to maybe go down and check out a game with the Vale guys. I think that'd be really fun. That leads us nicely on. <laughs> Fantastic segue, Paul. Well done. I know, it's great when that happens. I never mean these segues. So, I'm um, winging this right now. I know. We're so good. We're professionals. <laughs> Um, in terms of like upcoming events, there isn't too much that I'm aware of, apart from Midlands, and I apologise if there is something that I've completely forgotten, but I can't, offhand, I can't think of any, anything that's coming up. Uh, oh, there's the, the, uh, uh, the big final, what's that, the Stockport? Oh, it's this thing Ed's going to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he was at the Heats. It's like... Stop. Is it Masters? I can't remember what it's called. I know what you're talking about, yeah. but that doesn't help people listening, because they probably don't. Go on the main page site and click buttons until it comes up. That's yeah. what we're yeah. So, the other big thing that's happening is Midlands, which is a massive team event, which is on the 18th and 19th of November. As we're recording right now, we're recording on the 30th, and lists are due in two hours. And I apologise, Slatch, if you're listening, because uh, I need to send in our team's list. They're all actually, it's me that's holding this up. I need to actually sit and take mine out. Uh, I've got Andy's and Ed's and Michael's. Make uh, sure it's formatted. I know, I'm going to have to go check them all. Uh, so, we're obviously sending it, what, we had hoped to get two teams down, but it's a busy time of year for a lot of people, so we are sending one team. Uh, I have the pleasure of uh, coaching, captaining the team, which basically just means that they'll blame me when everything goes inevitably tits up. Yep. Um, I'm taking my trusty Empire, Ed's bringing his King Mectane, Michael's trying his hand at Orcs and Goblins, because Michael and I play, both play Empire, so Michael has thought about taking Orcs and Goblins, or like starting Orcs and Goblins as a potential second army, so this is a good opportunity for him to try that out, and um, Andy Cowan is coming with us, and he's bringing his devastating Dwarven Holds. So a nice repeat of his results at the Siege would be much appreciated, if Andy. If yeah, listening. pressure's on there. Yeah. So that's really good. Really look forward to that. And what's even better about it, and something that I'm really, really looking forward to, is uh, we have grudged the Vale Renegades for round one. So we are having a podcast civil war against the Vale Boys, <laughs> which feels really like dirty because they've been so good to us, and really, <laughs> and like uh, I've emailed Craig a bunch of times, and like really nice, and. Uh, yeah. Oh well, we'll go beat them up. We'll be fine. No, that that sounds cool. <laughs> I I really enjoy the Vale podcast. It's probably my favourite main page one. Yeah, it'd be mine as well. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. I'm allowed to say that. Yeah, fuck it. Felix will get annoyed maybe because he's a Thundercock. I enjoy the Thundercocks too, but Vale, I, I really like Vale. Be my favourite. Do I have to justify your choices, Andy? It's allowed. I've now incurred the wrath of the Thundercocks. <laughs> <laughs> we also got. I, I, actually, we should mention this. Um, I got a message from Tommy Tucker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically just saying that he enjoyed it and that he wants it on iTunes, which is something we should look into. Uh, We should definitely get it up on there. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely do that. But I opened, I saw it was from Tommy, and I opened it thinking he's probably told me to go fuck my cat or something like that, even though I don't own a cat, so I'd have to buy a cat and fuck it just (laughs) to answer Tom's, uh, Tommy's email. But he wasn't, he was really nice. Um, So I actually said to him, like, like, I expected a shitty email and he was like oh I'm not sure <laughs> I don't know if you're ready <laughs> so, <laughs> when you listen to the next episode um, we might have a disgusting email from Tommy Tucker yeah t- maybe he's just letting us kind of settle in yeah and then it's kind of like go fuck your goldfish he's obviously got something about fucking animals yeah that I don't well, know about he's a farmer not saying anymore but 
<laughs> That's it. We're definitely getting an email now. <laughs> uh, but no, but thanks, Tommy, for your lovely words, and we will absolutely look into getting it, uh, getting the podcast up on iTunes because I think, I mean, this was all a big test, really, the podcast. So it's really good that we're getting good feedback and people seem to be enjoying it. So uh, I think, I mean, it's up on SoundCloud, but I know that a lot of people find iTunes a little bit more accessible. So we should look into getting it up on there as well because I don't think it's too yep. much extra work. I say that you're the one who's the technical mastermind behind all this. I just come on and do my spiel and go away. You're the <laughs> guy that gets left with it all. So. Right, I'll do you a deal then. You can look into uh, iTunes and I'll, I'll handle the SoundCloud uploads. Oh, I don't know if that's fair though, because now Tommy Tucker's going to be out for me. Because not only did I say he was an animal fucker, but I, I've now gone back and reneged on the iTunes agreement. Why? Well, you're not going to do it unless I did it like <laughs> <laughs> is that what you were no, going no, with? No, no, I'll absolutely look at it. Um, I do. I've actually already looked at it. You've just got to get a hosting site, and I don't. I don't think that you can use SoundCloud. I think that. I don't know if that would work. I don't know if they'd be happy. But there's certain sites that you can upload that and get it across. But okay. Cool. Anyway, the people listening don't need to worry about that. I'll sort that out. I don't. Need, I mean, do you have an iPhone? I do have an iPhone. Yeah. Right. You automatically qualify as the person that has to handle iTunes. <laughs> an iTunes wanker. That's me. I'm not going to correct you there. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, no. no, I've never owned an iPhone or any kind of a- Apple God, device. You're so hipster, it hurts. And uh, anytime I need to sit and use a Mac, it hurts my brain. So I'm, not, I'm staying clear of iTunes. So if you are going to Midlands, we will see you there. Um, if, you, if you're listening to the show and we don't know you and you see us at Midlands, come and say hi. That'd be really fucking cool. Um, Andy's really easy to, to spot. He's a big tall guy with a beard. Yeah, I'm six foot seven in a beard. So yeah, I don't think there's many six foot seven bearded guys playing. There might be. I may find like my lost tribe in Midlands. <laughs> Just, you never know. There's <laughs> like multiples of you and me everywhere. <laughs> Well, I had a pretty good, healthy beard about him. He did, yeah. He's just lacking in height a wee bit. Oh, well, you can let me know how well, that goes. I'd say lacking in height compared to you and I. We're both pretty tall guys, so... This has nothing to do with Midlands. <laughs> no, not really. So, Midlands, yes. Um, Ed is currently looking at getting his team shirts and stuff as well, so we should have shirts which literally say uh, Scottish Wildlands or Scottish Ninth Age or something on. Uh, so you yeah. also have to have appropriate uh, nicknames. No, I've just had a thought of right? We should have on our team shirts sponsored by Mad Get Radio because it's free advertisement for us and we can't really sponsor them. That's ideal. That has to happen now. Yep. I will. We should maybe talk to Steve as well about getting uh, common ground on there. That would be sick. Yeah. I don't know if he'd be okay with that. I don't know. He probably would be, right? Free advertising. I, yeah. I can't see why not. It's not like you're demanding. <gasps> we could have like it on the sleeves. You know how like um, a lot of the rugby teams, like a lot of the Welsh rugby teams have like sponsors on their sleeves and stuff like that. You could. Oh, man, that'd be cool. Don't the uh, brownies and things like that, don't they also have, like, badges on their sleeves? Yeah, but it's not quite badass, what is it? <laughs> brownies or the Ospreys? Mm. <laughs> Let me have a look at um, that one. No, but that'd be cool. Multiple sponsors. Yeah, no, that'd be cool. Okay, I'll talk to Ed about that. Ed probably, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll see how far along he is. I'll probably stress him out even more. <laughs> Maybe you can uh, bargain something out, Steve. Maybe you can get, like, a free toasty every time you rock up to... Uh, the monthly meets. Yeah, this is where I go up to Steve and he's, uh, t- Steve, do you mind if, uh, would you maybe be interested in sponsoring? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, remember that time I gave you best penny? Uh, you need to get common ground tattooed on your forehead. <laughs> ah, right. Okay, got you. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's about it for this episode. Yeah, uh, just uh, as a final wee thank you to everyone that came out to the tournament. Yeah. It was a great day. Um, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, as always, you can get us uh, on Twitter at Scottish Ninetage or Scottish Wildlings. Uh, you can get us on Facebook, uh, Scottish Ninetage, if you just type it in as a group. Um, or you can message it and we'll get you in there. I think it's actually open to join. It's Ed, it's the admin. Uh, you can get us an email at um, scottishwildlingsgmail.com and uh, you can send us carrier pigeon or messenger tortoise. Both might get those, maybe. Any and all forms of animal yeah, are accepted. Yeah, animal. God, it's another Tommy joke coming up. We'll avoid that. <laughs> um, about, I always feel like I forget to say something in this, but I think maybe we need to develop like a catchy outdoor Going. Nah, that's not our style, man. Yeah. We're not so, professional. Nah, next episode, um, well, we're hoping to get Ed on. We'll get Ed on soon, and we'll talk about background and things like that, because I'm really looking forward to that. Um, yeah. We'll also maybe do like a recap of Midlands. We'll maybe get um, the guys on, if, we, if they can spare us a moment, and we'll talk about Midlands. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, but yeah, until next time, uh, take it easy, guys. Yep, catch you next time.